When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 35 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. We are talking Olympics this week. An action-packed, jam-packed episode. A long episode. Essentially a double episode. Because I wanted to make sure that we had women's hockey and men's hockey. Talking about the Olympics. I will have another episode next week. We'll talk Olympics. but We'll also talk NHL Draft because... I do want to let you know before we get into this episode, if you go to dailyfaceoff.com on Wednesday, February 2nd, my 2022 NHL Draft midseason rankings will be out. Took 50 players from the current class that are on my board right now. Uh, could be some surprises, uh, maybe at the top, don't know, spoiler alert, but um, spent a lot of time on that, so I took a week off from, from Hockey Sense and Talking Hockey Sense, so I apologize, I've been away for a little bit. But it's been very busy, and I wanted to make sure that gets out there. So please do go to dailyfaceoff.com to read that, um, as it will be uh, available when this podcast is published. So head on over there and, and check it out. It is free to read. No paywall at Daily Faceoff. Um, there is, however, a paywall at Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. Please do sign up and subscribe to that. Just Dropped a loaded newsletter with a lot of Olympic news, a lot of analysis, talking about the different players that uh, are heading from NCAA programs to the Olympics and, and just kind of how they were playing going into the Olympics. Uh, there's a lot in there also about a, a very big story that we will spend more time on as things go forward. But the University of Michigan currently under investigation, the hockey program is, um, for a variety of uh, allegations made against the program, including uh, covid uh, uh, essentially deception, um, which is, is basically how it's been termed that, uh, there was some lying going on about, uh, uh, contact tracing going back to that. So there is a lot there, um, that, uh, will need to be fleshed out. And I promise we will talk about it on this podcast sometime down the road. Maybe I'll have, I'll have Brad Schlossman back to talk more college hockey. We will talk about that, but today is all about the Olympics. I, I'm so grateful that I got two outstanding guests. I got Nicole Hazy, who is one of the most knowledgeable women's hockey writers anywhere in the world. She covers women's college hockey, which means she has not just knowledge of these programs, uh, the, the the national team programs, but really the, the maturation of the players as they reach that Olympic level. The women's hockey tournament, best on best tournament. It's always exciting when the U.S. and Canada play against each other. The games are semi-favorably timed, even though it's in... In uh, Beijing, you're not going to be looking at having to stay up until 3 in the morning. There are games that are going to be about 8 in the morning Eastern time and 11 p.m. at night uh, Eastern time. So they will be watchable. Same thing to, can be said about the men's tournament. And I have Stephen Ellis from The Hockey News to talk about that. So 
two great writers that just can dive in at, at such an in-depth level. And so since this is a hockey podcast that is is for the niche audience, for the hockey nerds, for the people that like to get down and dirty and into the nitty-gritty of the sport, this is going to be an episode for you. It is a long one. Feel free to skip around, take a peek at what you like, what you don't, doesn't matter. Uh, but you know, I really hope that you do listen to both Nicole and Steven, because they have such a great wealth of knowledge, and I was so pleased to have them on the podcast this week. As always, I want to, before I get into my interviews, I want to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It helps a great deal in getting the word out. The podcast continues to grow. I'm really excited about that, and I thank you for your support. And also, you can go on to Hockey Sense uh, on Substack. It is coming up on the one-year anniversary of its launch. So hard to believe, but I've been doing this on my own for about a year now. Um, but coming up on the one year on that. So if you would like to renew your subscriptions, if you already subscribe, if you would like to sign up, if you haven't yet, please do so at hockeysense.substack.com. The prices are going to stay the same uh, for now. And, and we'll, we're going to kind of wait and see where things go, but I'm going to continue to provide a lot of insight and different things. Like I have my draft rankings at daily Faceoff, but there's also going to be extra analysis that is specific to hockey sense subscribers about the draft class about the decision process of who went number one who went number two all those things will be in there in coming newsletters and i will be trying to uh you know basically if if the frequency isn't as much when they do come out there's going to be a lot packed into those newsletters so please do check that out but we got a lot to talk about. I can't waste any more time. This is a long podcast already, but I am so excited to welcome in Nicole Hazy for her first uh, guest spot on this podcast. I will definitely be having her back sometime because she uh, pulls no punches and speaks her mind and also has tremendous insight into the U.S. women's hockey program and also all women's hockey programs. She covers the game at such a, a comprehensive level that you are certainly going to learn a lot about the women's hockey tournament. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Nicole Hazy from USCHO and the Victory Press. All right, now I am pleased to be joined by Nicole Hazy. You can find her work at USCHO and the Victory Press covering women's hockey as extensively as anywhere. Um, great resource for the women's hockey. And that's why I wanted to have her come here today to talk about the best on best tournament of the Olympics, women's hockey. It is going to be uh, an epic tournament. We hope COVID stay away. But Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, we're going to start it off with an easy one because, I mean, I know how I felt and I know where what I was doing and staying up late at night in 2018 in Pyeongchang. Well, I wasn't in Pyeongchang. I was in my basement. Um, <laughs> but watching the gold medal game between the U.S. and Canada, the U.S. finally gets over the hump, wins its first gold medal since 1998. Where were you? What do you remember from that night? What are the things that that really stick out in your mind from that incredible moment in USA hockey history. I was in my living room um, in the dark. <laughs> I was trying to not make enough noise to wake up my husband. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got a little goosebumps talking, having you just inter introduce it. Like it was, I mean, I've been doing this since 2006. So um, I have, you know, 
trauma related to watching 2010, uh, 2014, 2018. So as that game went on and like Canada came back and we're going into overtime, like I tend to be a pessimist and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, they're going to do it again. And uh, also I am super impatient. Like sometimes I'm just like, get it over with. I want to know. I don't care what happens. Um, but what's been great about some of the growth of women's hockey is um, kind of watching it on Twitter with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, like I have my laptop in my lap, but I'm watching it and just sort of talking it through with everybody. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the culmination of a lot of stress, but uh, pretty amazing. You know, because I call it, cover college, like I've covered so many of these players, uh, you know, everybody on the U.S. team played in the NCAA and all but one Canadian player um, this year. So it's just like I have a connection. I've, I've met many of these women and talked to them, you know, one on one. And so you just like you feel it a little bit more and you just, you know, like you're happy for the girls who win. You're sad for the girls who lose. But I think I was mostly just like in disbelief and, and like didn't think they were going to pull it out after the last two times, which yeah. is making it fair. But that's just like that's sports pessimist fan of me. But it's fun because I don't I don't get to be a fan very often anymore. Um, so this is one of those opportunities where I get to revert back to all of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I wasn't covering it. So I was full on like just on the edge of my seat. I had to stand. I had to pace a lot in that during that game. Um, and and really it was getting to the point now that that felt like such a huge moment for that team you think about all the all the things that they went through over the course of that season going from you know boycotting for the for the 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 pay situation and and also um you know winning and getting an opportunity to kind of set that precedent and then really the the pre-olympic process was crazy there were a lot of surprise cuts and there was a lot of unrest behind the scenes um which are which you know was was part of this build-up and you say Oh no, is this going to crumble? Is this all good? And, and if they don't do it now, is it ever going to happen? That's kind of, you know, you, you get in that feeling where it's like, Oh my gosh, is this the, is this the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns of, you know, uh, or, or, you know, just kind Buffalo of Bills, the right? Buffalo like, Bills. Thank you. That's, that's probably the better one, the Buffalo Bills situation. And I'm just like, Oh no. And um, you know, you think about the different things that had to go right in that, in that game, Maddie Rooney stepping up and playing the overtime of her life and, and making key saves that, that are a little forgotten now because of the shootout that happened. Yeah. The fact that Megan Augusta, one of the greatest goal scorers for Canada ever comes in and, 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 and Maddie stops her. And you obviously have, oops, I did it again from uh, Jocelyn Lamaru Davidson. And so it's like, you got all these crazy things that happened. Um, USA ends up winning and, and it, it, it is a great memory. And, and, I don't think that the momentum for women's hockey f ever felt more present um, yeah. than in that moment. And I just wonder, you know, the problem is the bad luck. The, the real unfortunate thing is, is we've now had this pandemic and yeah. we've had, you know, other situations like, you know, kind of splitting at the, at the professional ranks and all of these other things that maybe have, I don't think it stalled the momentum because I think that things are still moving in a positive direction in general. Uh, but it's definitely muted now compared to how we felt right. in 2018. As everything is, thanks to the pandemic. Yeah. yeah, I was laughing. I just saw an article and it was from, uh, it was from England, so maybe the Guardian, but it was like, will 2022 do for women's hockey what 1999 did for women's soccer? And it's funny because I'm pretty sure I wrote that article or at least talked about that in 2018, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. when they had actually won. So I thought it was interesting that, um, 
we're folding it before the tournament even begins because like you know the winning is kind of crucial part to that story right um but also uh i was trying to decide how i felt about the fact that we were still other people or, or people are still thinking that four years later um and, and i think you're right that like just the, the momentum's still there like girls hockey is still growing uh one of the things i was just <laughs> doing an interview for a french source about title nine's uh 50th anniversary and i think they're tying it to the olympics um about ice hockey and uh was talking about um just like the growth and the number that like one of the things that 2017 the the boycott wanted was girls development which is something mm -hmm. usa hockey hasn't really stepped up on um you know we don't have that same development program for girls as we do for boys uh and then obviously with u18 worlds that's a whole separate uh right. tangent we could go on um but yeah so it's interesting that like there are more and more girls playing and like interviewing collegiate women um i find many of them that played on girls teams growing up which like you know like the u18 program didn't exist for hillary knight when she was 18 like that's right that's what we're talking about like people still playing either couldn't play u18s or played in the very first u18 women's world championships um and then i'm talking you know like i talked to princeton goalie rachel mcquig and she and her sisters all played in all girls teams growing up which is just not something that you would have heard in 2018 um so that's a huge difference uh so i do think things are improving and changing i guess that's the whole tangent i went on there sorry oh that's okay but, but yeah i do think what you know that we were in that sort of what could have been um, following 2018 that I think definitely got muted and stalled a little bit. Yeah. And, and the, the, the other thing that's happening now is it, have we, is there, has there ever been less hype for a winter Olympics in your lifetime? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, that is, I, I am obsessed with the Olympics. I love the Olympics and I, I'm like, what, you know, what's happening? I mean, and part of it is, you know, normally we have a, a pre-Olympic buildup, especially on the women's side, even more so on the women's side where there is the, my, you know, this year it was the, my Y tour, several games end up getting canceled due to the pandemic. Um, they did manage to play six games, but still those feel so far away. Um, right. And, and it hasn't been part of our, our, our attention. And now you've also got a situation where you're playing games and, a bubble you are you know you have the time difference although the schedule for usa it's pretty good it's pretty favorable for the american audience as much as it can be because you With can't see it in time. prime time yeah, yeah. Um, us yeah and usa network is going to be your spot for for women's hockey um for the u.s women's national team if you're in the united states um and and i promise Kim, if you're i went ahead and did some dvring just to make sure and most of the Canada games are also being shown live on Beautiful. USA Now. And that's, so they're mostly playing at like 10, 11 at night and then like seven, eight in the morning, but they're also being replayed on USA at like five in the afternoon too. Yeah. So there, so there'll be, yeah. And there'll be opportunities to follow the tournament. And, and even though it's in this unfortunate time zone where, you know, you have that, we're still going to have it at times where it's not like your entire sleep schedule is dead for the rest yeah. of, uh, of eternity. I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it is, it is bizarre though, coming into this event because, um, you know, I don't think that it matters that the NHL isn't going in terms of how this would impact the, the Olympics. I think whether the NHL went or not, I just, there's not a lot of buzz right now. I mean, there's Think about the skiing events and the and the and the speed skating yeah, and everything nothing. else. Yeah. The only thing I've seen is some figure skating, but like in terms of like who made US teams for 
other sports, I don't really have any idea. Right. And there's this, and then there's this, this other thing, and it's more of a political and, and geopolitical thing of, should we be in China right now? Should we have the, you know, should the Olympics have ever been awarded there? All these other things. And, um, and so that mutes excitement as well. Um, But I do want to get back to the hockey because you are so knowledgeable (laughs) about this and you have, you know, such great experience and you've been doing this for, for, as you mentioned, since 2006 and um, a lot has changed over the years, but the one thing that remains the same is that USA and Canada uh, is as intense a rivalry as we as you could ask for. It's what we'll see. Um, I believe it's February 7th. Am I right? February 7th, I think is the first game between the U S and Canada in the preliminary round. So um, that's, that's the one that I'm sure everybody's got circled. Um, but you know, one of the things that we talked about a little bit off air, um, was this team that's trying to repeat as gold medalists for the first time for USA hockey is going to be missing a lot of the heart and soul players, uh, from their previous win. Megan Duggan, Duggan was the captain. Uh, you had the Lamaru twins, Casey Bellamy, you know, Gigi Marvin, veteran players that are gone now that are, you know, um, and, and Gigi Marvin, you lose the, the war road connection. You need to, you need to have war, people from war road. If you want to win gold medals, apparently, <laughs> um, at least it, that's at least on the men's side. Um, but certainly, you know, Gigi was uh, an important part, but, but, you know, so now, even though Hillary Knight is there and, and even though, uh, you know, Kendall Coyne Schofield is there and all these players that, that, that have had experience, Brianna Decker as well. Um, and now Alex Carpenter and Megan Bozak are back from, <laughs> from who were not part of the team a couple of years ago, very controversially. Um, you know, I, 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 as I watched this team, they, they won two of the six games in the My Y Tour against Canada. Um, and I still feel like I don't know much about this team's identity, what they're about, um, who's going to step up. Um, you know, there's a, there's plenty of first time Olympians, but it's not a very young team either because it's, 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 I think the average age is close to 26 years old and Canada's average age is about 27. So there are a lot of younger teams in this tournament. Um, but you know, the U S still has kind of these tweeners and people that have been around for a while. And I just, that's a long winded me of saying, I don't know what to expect. Do you, Nicole, do you, can you, can you point me in the right direction here? No, I, I don't know that I'm any clearer <laughs> than you are. Um, I was going to say earlier when you were talking about, you know, hype, the, the little bit of hype I have seen is for the hockey team because they won uh, in 2018. And like, frankly, I'm a little worried about them getting like being hyped up that much. Cause I, I, I am concerned <laughs> about USA's chances at repeating that gold medal. And so like, just from a, I'm always, like thinking about media and PR and that sort of thing. And like, what if people pay a bunch of attention and then they don't, they don't win again, or they don't look very good. Like, what does that mean for the future of women's hockey as a whole? Um, So yeah, I have concerns. I think I I definitely share your concern about this team having identity. Um, I, I wrote about this a bit in my preview for victory press, but part of that I think is how much, uh, like line changing and roster changing that this squad did, um, in those my why games and at worlds. And I mean, that definitely is part of the lead up to the Olympics. And I, that's one of the things that I think got lost in some of those canceled games and, and fewer games and rivalry series and things like that. But 
I have no idea what line pairings are going to be. I mean, I kind of feel like I'm not sure the coaching staff knows what the line pairings are going to be. Um, that's only a little facetious. I just, we don't, they change things up a lot. And I'm not sure that this team ever had the chance to gel with like what their core is going to be, who their lines are going to be, who the leaders are going to be, what it's going to look like. And I think that makes it really hard to be like secure that this team's going to be able to go out and, and do really well in this tournament. Yeah, you know, it, it it's t- it's tough to say, and and you mentioned you know the the preparation and how things are going, and really, you know, there has been you know the team has been centralized. They've been in their residency program. They have had training and practice in some games. You know, they played against uh, junior A teams. They played against Triple um, uh, A teams. You know, to to try and get ready. And Canada did the same. Uh, they they played uh, boy uh, boys uh, junior A teams and 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 midget Triple A teams and things like that. Um, so you, you're, you're just, you know, you haven't had that, that normal buildup and there's supposed to be a schedule of these sorts of things. And all, all the while you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with COVID, you're dealing with players getting cut, um, you know, and, and that was another thing where there wasn't really a whole ton of transparency in terms of how the team was built. Um, it just, they started cutting players and you're like, that player's like, no, it was basically that player's on the roster. Yeah. And, and, and it was fans that would notice that people weren't on there. Right. And yeah. that, and that did that. I do find that annoying as well um, as just, uh, you know, having, you know, kind of just as somebody that appreciates information. Um, yeah. But, well, but, and so like, you know, we talked a little bit about off uh, before we started recording too, that like, to some extent, I think that the team won last year in spite of the coaching staff. Um, and so, one of the big problems last year was they were like, here are 23 players and this is our team. And that was like six months before the Olympics. And then they added people and dropped people. And like, there was a lot of controversy and a lot of um, kind of, I don't want to say. (laughs) Yeah. About how it was handled. Right. And so the fact that we're kind of, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but we're having those similar things leading into this tournament. It's just like, guys, get your stuff together. Like this isn't, (laughs) <laughs> this doesn't have to be like this and I don't right. I just it's frustrating both as a fan and a, as a writer that like you just like you guys you're not doing yourselves any favors <laughs> right yeah I mean and you know the team the team is the team now we know we know what it is we 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 see that you know they announced it at the at the winter classic that was another fun uh <laughs> um you know I think things went a little bit sour there but but regardless now you know there are those familiar faces. There is Hillary Knight who will be playing in her fourth Olympics. There is um, Kendall Quinn Schofield, Brianna Decker. Um, I think the one position where it's going to be interesting is Maddie Rooney is back, but very unlikely to be the starter for this team. Um, right. Alex Cavallini did not play a minute of the 2018 Olympics and is now essentially the starter. Yeah. That's very interesting. Really interesting for your arc there. It is. And, 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 you know, I mean, that's the way that's the, can be the nature of hockey. And especially now that since a lot of these women have not had consistent places to play outside of the Olympic cycle, where the, whether it's in the PHF or, or, or PWHPA, where they did play some, it's just not having that consistency. Um, you know, and I think for goaltenders in particular, that's, that's thing. But if there is one, you know, you look at these two teams on paper and you say, if there is one area where Canada seems far superior to the U S and this is just my opinion. I feel like it's the goaltending and um, I could be wrong, but uh, I mean, Anne Renee Debian, uh, Emirates Meshmer uh, both played uh, very well in the, my Y tour um, had 
save percentages north of 925. So, you know, like, and then the U.S. goalies, uh, actually, Maddie Rooney didn't allow a goal in her appearances. And those, so, but that's, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think Anne Renee is probably far and away the best goalie of the six. And where USA runs into something is, is instead of having like one elite, they have like three very good. And who do you pick? And like, is it a spot thing based on like scouting and who, what type of shooters they're going to face? Like that, I think that's an interesting, um, one of those things that I'd like to know sort of the inside baseball on, but I <laughs> haven't been transparent about a lot of stuff. So again, <laughs> kind of like, I'm not sure how much to trust. <laughs> like, I don't know that I trust the coaching staff to make the right decision, which is like, again, maybe my sort of defeatist attitude, but I do think that that's where they're in an interesting position. Um, and Maddie definitely has had, I think the least non-team USA experience. Like she hasn't done as much away from right. um, international or from senior team stuff. So, but also she like, like her boyfriend or fiance is a trainer and like she's in Duluth and obviously gets ice time. And so like in the COVID situation like doesn't that matter like I, I don't know yeah yeah I mean there's just none yeah, of them got enough ice time right like, yeah yeah there's just it's it's crazy it's crazy how it all how it all ends up uh kind of all coming back to well it's co you know COVID I mean really there's a there's a significant impact on the preparation for this tournament and and really it creates a lot of that uncertainty that we're talking about with this team there is you know, there, we talked about some of the veterans, but one of the players that will be new to the Olympics this year, um, but is a name that you are probably hearing about. There was a big Sports Illustrated story about her. You, they, you, she's uh, part of the, the Bauer, the Barn uh, initiative, uh, which is uh, showcasing um, players from various backgrounds and, 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 sh- and celebrating the diversity of hockey um, or growing diversity of hockey. And, and Abby Rock, who is now for team USA uh, is, is one of the faces of, of, of that, um, you know, uh, she's her, her heritage is first nations in Canada, her, her father, Jim uh, um, from, uh, from Ontario. So, but you, you've watched Abby rock from the time she was uh, a young player. She played boys hockey in, uh, in, in Sault Ste. Marie um, uh, playing high school hockey. There was an outstanding player um and and then moved on to wisconsin where you are often uh, you can often find nicole um uh, around the bon arena and, and hanging out in madison um but abby rock it has been one of the players that has really kind of come to the forefront and at one point hillary knight basically proclaimed that she was on her way to being the best player in the world um what do you think of abby rock and and and, and this opportunity for her um professionally like uh, Abby is a really good player that definitely didn't get the notice I think she deserved until I mean after college it really took till like her senior year and after college for her she wasn't like going to developmental stuff and and they weren't giving her that opportunity and um when I named her USCHO player of the year I got a lot of like oh you're such a homer um, and then like immediately she went off and started doing Team USA and PWHPA stuff. And everyone was like, Abby Rock. And I was like, yeah. I was saying it felt very vindicated. Um, Abby is very smart. She's very physical. Um, part of it is like, is her size. She is, you know, sort of, she's 
like stout on her skates and she is used to playing with the boys and she is not afraid of getting into it. She is gritty and will dig for pucks along the boards, but she's, she's really smart. She is one of the best players I've ever seen in the face-off circle. Um, I think hilariously, like if you, there were people that were like, that's just not that important, but it like, like watch Wisconsin's power play now um, and watch how they struggled to um, possess the puck. And, note, and then you will see how important Abby Rock was to that team, like the importance of being able to to take that puck and immediately have it and not and be able to set up your systems and do all those things like that is something that Abby brings that I think is one of those underappreciated hockey arts um, for a team like Wisconsin that really relies on puck possession. And, you know, also with Team USA. Um the thing about it is like they touted Abby. We, she was really good in um, a couple rivalry series games. She was really good with the PWHPA. She barely played at Worlds. <laughs> she like we I, I wrote about this too. Like she she had she averaged uh eight minutes per game, which was the lowest on the team. And her overall, she's she was on the ice for just under 51 minutes total in six games, which like is just fascinating to me that she was used that way. Um, and that she didn't really get an opportunity. And then after that, in the My Why tour, she broke um, a foot and has been in a cast. So between them not using her and her lack of time on the ice recently, like I'm really interested to see what she's going to do. I mean, they've certainly made her the face of this team heading into, um, whether that's like her own good PR, but like USA Hockey has to make her available too. So they're signing off on it. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of don't know what to expect. Um, but I think, I mean, I was surprised Hillary said that not because I don't think Abby is a very good player, but because like, holy cow, that's an endorsement for someone that hasn't like gotten a lot of opportunities thus far. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I'm really impressed with Abby. I'm really impressed with her on the ice. I'm really impressed with her off the ice. Uh, as somebody who, so, <laughs> so the difference between like collegiate women's hockey post game and collegiate men's hockey post game is very different because my post game means me standing in a hallway and someone bringing one player to me. And it might be me in like one other um reporter in madison it's two because we get todd but like <laughs> otherwise it's like me and a student reporter right so like it's pretty low-key and they don't get a ton of media training there's no formal you know post-game uh press conference and so uh i i have a lot of awkward post-game interviews and abby abby is not one of them <laughs> abby can talk about hockey in a way that like very few 18 and 19 year olds did when they were in school um and it only got better she just the way she not just can see the game but explain the game which is not always something everybody can articulate um so I yeah I'm a big fan have been for a few years like I said when I when I named her I think it was 2020 player of the year everybody was like what just thought it was like me being a total homer for a player that I like and uh I think she's absolutely proven that like she was kind of like the unsung hero of that team there were bigger sort of flashier names and she she definitely um has proven that she she deserves this call up and she deserves to get more ice time than she got in worlds and um, I'm hoping we see that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. You know, I, I think I remember the first time that I heard about her was when I, it might have been her freshman year of high school, when she was really like producing and playing very well in the Sioux. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was the hockey news or something. It might have been Yahoo. I, I just remember seeing her, her, the story about her when she was like 14 years old. And it's like, yeah. she's going to be a thing. And she has delivered. And there's always yeah. been pressure on her. 
Um, and, and it seems like she's found a way to deliver. Um, I don't want to very adaptable too, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. to start off with, she was behind Emily Clark and Sarah nurse and, and, um, Annie Pankowski. And she was sort of like a secondary player and she was dishing the puck a lot, um, and really feeding them. Right. And then her senior year, she was more of the, the star of the team and taking more shots. And so like, I think her adaptability and her, like how she has shown that she can play whatever role they give her, um, I think it will be really important with USA hockey. And then also she's that type of player um, that will just go like, F it, I'm going to like, I'm doing this myself. Like it's the final five minutes. We need a goal. Like I don't like I'm putting, like I'm taking this responsibility, not like a cop game, putting the team on my back, but like, I'm not letting us lose this game. She's that kind of player. Um, which I, you know, it's important to have one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. It is important to have that. And and it's also important to have, you know, the veteran leadership that they do have, you know, Hillary Knight was the leading scorer in the my Y tour five points in six games for her, including four goals, Kendall coin Schofield, four points in six games. Um, You know, then defensive, like on on the blue line, Kayla Barnes, Megan Keller, big, probably the, the, the big names there, I guess. I mean, like uh, who, who are you? Yeah. Who, who are you most excited to see, you know, maybe, maybe they're, you know, who, who is somebody that we should kind of be watching based on kind of what you've seen and, and who, who are we not either maybe not paying enough attention to, or, or who's somebody that has really caught your attention that you think should be known better? Um, I think as fans, I think on the blue line, it's Gen Z done. Gen Z mm. was in the, what the twenty. 20- 14 camp as like a as a high schooler I remember that so, yes yeah yeah she was. so at like 17 she was in camp for pre-olympic is in centralization so um the fact that it took this long for her to crack the roster uh leaves me lots of questions not about her uh but <laughs> I think it's important that they finally got her there she um moves the puck really well she at Ohio State was uh really lethal from the blue line in terms of scoring um, so I really like her back there. I think she has a really good eye for like when she should be moving up into the play and when she needs to be back on defense. Um, people that are newer to the game won't know Megan Bozick because as you mentioned, she was left off the roster um, in 2018, but she, you know, she's a big player. She's got like back in the day, won the fastest slap shot um, mm-hmm. in one of the leagues. Like she's, she's just a huge presence back there that brings court sort of like out on her skates like isn't going to get pushed around um I can't wait to see like I'm still surprised Caroline Harvey made this roster not because I don't think she's good but just because she has not even enrolled in college yet and yeah. um, so just kind of an unusual situation that you you don't often see that um so I think she has absolutely played her way onto the squad she's shown um that she can be um an offensive threat and also not get beat on defense um and then for me, like there, I don't know that there's anybody better on defense, like more steady over the last like 10, 12 years than Lee Steckline. Like, yeah, very good point. Yeah, Lee, unflashy. For sure. Like she is, she's not somebody like she's uh, other than like noticing that she's six foot tall. And then you put her yeah. on skates. And, like if you're ever at ice level, you're like, holy cow, she's actually huge. She is. Um, yeah. But she's like, she's super quiet. She's not the person they're going to put in front of the camera, but like, oh, what a steady presence. And she's been on the Olympic team, like since she was a young collegian, and there's a reason for that. So, yeah. um, he yeah, is, is one of my all time favorite players. Um, she just is calm and steady and doesn't get beat. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm very, I'm very mad at myself for not mentioning her when I mentioned the the defense, the defense people, <laughs> the the defense because she's she is she's outstanding and she's good. At, you know, I'm I'm excited. One of the players I'm excited just because of how much she was mixing it up during the My Y tour is Abby Murphy, and I I know <laughs> yeah. I know she, she she hails from Evergreen Park, which is right next to where I grew up in Mount Greenwood and in, in the south side of Chicago. So Evergreen Park is right on the edge of Chicago. It's not quite Chicago, but it's right there. Um, and she's got a little bit of that toughness and grit to her. I'm yeah, yeah so I'm excited to see her. Um, and, and then yeah, I, I, like you, very interested to see how the goaltending situation goes. It's the most critical position, and it's something that you really can't mess around with. I'm looking forward to seeing Megan Bozak and, and Alex Carpenter in the in the revenge tour. Um, you know, yeah. seeing seeing how they do um, because I, I think there was. I mean, audible gasps when they were cut uh, from the last time around. And and now I'm very much looking forward to seeing them get this, get this crack at it um, once again. And, and, and certainly there are so many other players that, you know, we don't have time to get to all of them because I do want to move on to a little bit more on Canada and, and some of the other countries. But I mean, um, this team has the, you know, there's no question they're going to contend for the gold medal. It's just right. a matter of, Hey, the 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 buildup wasn't great, <laughs> so uh, right. So and I think together. you know, like you said, they only won two of those six games, and like so many, what did I say? Four of those games, I think, were one goal games or overtime games. Very and true. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, that's like okay, that's not damning. On the other, like you have to be able to win those close games, right? And it's sort of the little things that I'm not sure they've been able to like focus on and get right because we were still messing with lines and like trying to figure all that sort of thing out. So like being able to like really drill down and focus on the small stuff, the stuff you got to dig deep for in that overtime or in the fight, you know, to get that, that last goal in, in the final 10 minutes of a game or something. That's the stuff that I, I know individual players have, but I'm not sure how much the team has right now. Like that would be where my concern is sort of like versus the steadiness of what Canada has been able to do over the last six months. Yeah, I mean, you know, so Canada is going to come into this tournament as the defending world champion, um, having won on home ice in the delayed women's world championship that was, you know, not ideal to have it played so late in the summer. But um, it was good that the tournament actually did happen. And we hope that the same will happen for the under 18 women's worlds this year and, and other other events. But um, Canada coming in and as we mentioned, won four of the six games of the My Wide Tour, um, Marie-Philippe Poulain is uh her old terrifying self um maybe i think you know if you are a usa fan um she is the grim reaper um and she had eight points in those games including a couple overtime winners um she had the the golden goal in the in the world championship as well didn't she so like i mean you know like and you know she's she is the grim reaper so um Outside of Marie-Philippe Poulain, they have a very, you know, a, a, still a veteran team. We talked about Anne-Renée Debian, who's a huge difference maker in the crease. Um, certainly, you've seen plenty of players that have come through Wisconsin and other, other WCHA schools. Um, what, is, what is the thing that, as you were watching the My Y Tour, as you watch the Women's Worlds, what stands out about this team? Why are they better? They are better now than they were in 2014. So what, what is the biggest difference to you? Or 2018, sorry. Biggest difference to you? One of the things that I'm not sure that I, I think is a positive, but has the potential to be a negative. Let's wait. Let, like, so basically they've been like sort of slow and steady wins the race. Like they haven't changed their lines. Like their roster has been pretty set. Like, even though they didn't name the roster until after, you know, after 
worlds and all those games, like you, you pretty much knew how that was going to go. Like it was really down to maybe one or two positions. That being said, like they were close games. They did win one goal games. They did need Marie Fulland to be herself in order to win those games. So is keeping steady with that course the way to go? I don't know. Is not trying new, like Canada is pretty well known with their women's team for you know not mixing things up very much for being maybe a little too stuck in their ways at times I think that was one of their problems in 2017 and 2018 right like they are very set in their systems the players don't necessarily uh seem like they feel the freedom to break out of those like if we're in a close game and briefly plan is like that whole like effort I'm gonna win it myself but like Canada's philosophy doesn't really allow for that kind of thing do you know what I'm talking about yeah absolutely that part where it's been this like they're they're the same and they've built and they're good but like did they plateau like can they find a new level in 2022 I think that's going to be like an interesting storyline turning point like how this team like is it slow and steady and like they they're very good and they're just going to be very good and that's what's going to do it like they're going to win those close games and Marie Fleury plan is going to be the difference maker I don't know but that's I mean that's where the question lies for me like at first I was like well yeah because they, they they've been settled they're going to do it and then you know someone on Twitter was like right but they haven't changed anything in a while and like is that a good thing and I was like that is a valid question a valid concern especially for me who really called out in 2017 and 2018 like sort of their lack of adjustments and their inability to handle some of that stuff um so yeah so I think that will be sort of the big question for them um as you mentioned like they're a little bit older even some of their first time Olympians are women that have been around the program for quite a while like they are not necessarily girls right out of college and then their young players are very good young players so um I do think you know like even their quote-unquote rookies have a ton of experience and that I think that will help make a difference for them yeah in addition in addition to being the the oldest team Canada is also you know the biggest by average you know height the U.S. is a little bit more weight to them uh, but still that's not far away I mean these women have been training at the absolute top of the game and are incredibly gifted in the physical elements of women's hockey um, and and you know because the there isn't the body checking but I mean you watch any of those games and there's a lot of contact and that's going to make a huge difference so we fully expect that the U S and Canada are, are, are on the collision course. Um, is there anything in particular that you think this version of team Canada, um, is going to give USA problems with, um, aside from anything that we may have already mentioned. They're fast. They are faster. They're matching the speed of the U S in transition and through the neutral zone in a way that they didn't four or five years ago. Um, there's that and uh, like they really their forecheck and they were preventing U.S.'s speed really well right like they weren't letting um, the the U.S. break out of the defensive zone and, and sort of really move and transition in the same way like they've been able to keep up with the speed and find a way to sort of remove that advantage for Team USA in a way that like was really obvious during world, the world championships. I thought like yeah. the neutral zone was all team Canada during world championships. And uh, yeah. so I think unless the U S has done some major adaptation uh, in the past few months, like that's going to be a big problem for them. Like that was 
the U.S.'s bread and butter was winning those pucks on defense and quickly moving through the zone and sort of getting there before the defense could get set up. Um, I think Canada is very good on defense and, and being able to have that forecheck and sort of really disrupt the Americans' plan really went well for them uh, back in August. So I think I think the speed that wasn't necessarily, it's not that they didn't have fast players, but speed wasn't necessarily part of their game plan in a way that I think that it is now. Um, but yeah, I, that I think is going to be sort of one of the, how the neutral zone plays out is going to be one of the big turning points. Yeah, I, I think a lot of games can be won and lost there. I mean, it's also important to note that, you know, with, with this, in Beijing and for most double IHF world championship events going forward, their, their preference is to play games on NHL regulation surfaces, as opposed to the wider ice surfaces that we've seen in years past that plays very much into the favor of both the U S and Canada. I'd say Canada might have a little bit um, since the U S had a, a, some more speed uh, typically um, that that's no, maybe nullified a little bit. It, it depends. It kind of, the game is still one between the faceoff dots either way. Um, but yeah, but you just kind of wonder things about transition, clogging up the neutral zone as well as they did all those other things. Um, you know, you think Joel Johnson, the head coach of team USA per, per, before moving to St. St. Thomas was at the university of Minnesota where they play on a bigger sheet. So, you know, there's all those different kind of things that kind of, uh, play into it or actually was Ritter, is Ritter, is Ritter the Ritter's an NH, is it an NHL sheet? Oh, I don't know. Now I can't remember, <laughs> but anyway, it, either way, um, to play on the smaller surface, that's just, you know, I think all these players are fully accustomed to that. They, that's many of them played that way. As you mentioned, a lot of them played in college and those are where you find Olympic size sheets more frequently. Um, Twitter is NHL. Okay. So yeah. So scratch what I said, <laughs> bigger, not Ritter. Yeah, um, State's the only one I think that has Olympic ice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, let's just scratch everything i just <laughs> sorry no this is why we have you the expert on and that's why i'm leaving this in here i'm gonna have the egg on my face because you know what you're talking about um but to, to go back to you know i mean you look at some of the names of of uh, of the canadian players that that have been around for so long um natalie spooner Jocelyn the rock i mean there are players here that that are just so ingrained into this um, into this rivalry and into what they do. And then just to add some of these new faces um, are, is going to be really, really fun too. So um, besides yeah. Canada, go ahead, please. One thing I wanted to say is uh, yes. one interesting thing they've done is um, Jamie Lee Rattre, who won yeah. a Patty has at Clarkson, but also kind of along the way that Abby Rock did, like didn't necessarily get into the senior team right away. And so like right now they're playing her as like a, a freelance winger, a freelance forward. Like she doesn't have a line, but she's been incredibly successful. Um, and she like, they kind of are putting her in as like a, a, a change up. They, it just gives them another option. She's um, really strong on her skates. Like she can't really be pushed off the puck. Um, and so she's added a really interesting dimension for them. And I think it is really difficult to defend. Like she has been listed as, you know, an extra forward on the line sheets. And I wasn't sure if that meant something about how she was going to make the team, but like she did, and she will be, she brings that dimension to them that allows them to react to the teams that they're playing in a, 
you know, she scored a bunch of goals and she's just been sort of like quietly this extra skater that technically doesn't have a home, but isn't a negative. It, it, it's a really interesting, very not Canadian way to, to approach it. I, yeah, in my opinion, interesting. I, I like it. I like what they're doing with her. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, and that's, and those are the types of things. Sometimes those, those players that don't necessarily fit into the box, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a place for them. And if they can seize that opportunity, gives you an, an extra weapon, which is, is, is huge. So um, is there anybody else on Canada that you're particularly interested or excited to see in this Olympics? Um, I mean, like I, I say that as like all of them, they're all very good and interesting from a, the collegiate side. I, I'm a big fan of Emma Malte. Again, mm. another Ohio state player um, that program just sort of really emerged in the past few seasons under Nadine Muzzerall. And uh, Emma is a, a player that I think really benefited from being um, coached by Nadine. Like she was, I think a little quiet, maybe a little timid, um, just didn't necessarily, I think, come into herself and who she could be as a player to start. Um, and then really has sort of like taken on that bravado and that sort of um, swag that Nadine likes to say that the Buckeyes have. And I think that really helped her. Um, I think she always had those skills, uh, but I think it really helped her sort of create the type of player that she is and, and be confident in what she's able to do. So, um, and they haven't used her a, a huge amount because uh, they, they do have, like, it's one of those, I always love sort of like side note, but I always love when there's arguments about who should be on the U S and Canada rosters. Cause it's like, if you're going to like, tell me someone should be on there, you have to tell me who's coming off. Yeah, exactly. Like, you look at these rosters and they're absolutely amazing. And like, it's not that I don't think like someone that didn't make the team is great, but it's also like, who are you pulling from here that's going to like get off the roster or like less playing time? So like, you know, I think Emma just has that problem of being behind some women that are in their third and fourth Olympics. But um, I think she offers uh, a lot in Sarah Fillier, um, which yeah. they a lot of the broadcasts focused in on her. She I think the ceiling for her is huge. You know, she's already playing really well. Um, and I don't think she's necessarily fully developed as a player and what she's capable yeah. of. Yeah, Fillier. Um, yeah, Fillier had five goals in the in the six games of the My Y Tour games. And I mean, you know, that's that's of Canada's players, the top score. I mean, like that's in, you know, in, in, in this kind of debut opportunity. I think she's interesting, too, because she's one of those players like you don't necessarily notice her on the ice right away. But then suddenly she's in front of the net scoring. Um, she <laughs> has sort of that yeah. good like uh, she's she's sort of able to blend in and not and not draw the attention of the defense and not necessarily make you pay attention until she's there hurting you. So um, I think that's a really interesting ability that she has and it makes you want to, to look for her on the ice when she's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's definitely, um, you know, that there, there are even more Canadians oh, yeah. for the Americans <laughs> to be fearful of uh, this year. Um, but there's also, you know, I think that we often lose sight of, of the other countries and Finland has become a, 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 you know, a factor, you know, we, that's a, you can't say it much more than that. Like they have, they have uh, threatened, they, you know, they, they got to a gold medal game. They were the first not non U S Canada team to get to a gold medal game in a women's world championship. Um, and almost won very closely uh, uh, beat the U S there for that one. So, so Finland's in the mix, but, who are some of the players from, from countries, Finland, otherwise, um, that 
you know, we should be aware of in this Olympics uh, and, and, and who are the players that, you know, have an opportunity to kind of establish themselves a little bit more in women's hockey uh, in terms of, you know, their stardom. Yeah. Uh, two, I want to bring up just because they uh, have committed to the university of Minnesota. Um, so the ability to watch them in the future is there. And like, obviously at like 18, 19, they're playing for their national teams and, and are committing to a top tier program. So uh, Nelly Leitnen uh, from Finland, she's a defender, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, has been a top defensive scorer, you know, had a goal at Worlds, uh, play, has played for uh, Espoo in Finland and, uh, you know, put up 37 points uh, in two seasons ago, 23 this season. So she's someone that's really interesting to watch as sort of a young, if you've been watching fin- Finland, you haven't seen her before. Um, and then the other is Josephine Boombang. Uh, she's a 20 year old forward out of Sweden. And she also, she actually switched commitments from Princeton to um, Minnesota. So those were both recently announced. So just in terms of like players that you'll be able to watch uh, playing in the US in the future, those are two really interesting players to watch. Um, if you're not at all familiar, familiar, the most interesting, the best, <laughs> the best defender in the world um, is Yeni Hirakoski for Finland. She is 34 and she is playing, uh, you know, she's a seven time best defender in the Olympics and world championships. Like she's just all time great. Um, watch her when she's on the ice. Like you won't be able to miss her. She is who everybody should know. I feel like if you're going to know women's hockey, you have to know Yeni Hirakoski. Let's see. But other than that, um, I really like, sorry, I'm looking at um, rosters while I'm talking to you. Obviously, Alina Mueller yes. at Switzerland. She is, plays at Northeastern right now. Um, she is a two-time Patty Kazmaier finalist. She's a two-time Swiss Hockey Woman of the Year. Um, she led the NCAA in scoring last season with uh, 12 goals, 26 assists, 38 points. Um, just absolutely a game changer when she is on the ice and she makes everybody around her better. Um, she just, it's like kind of difficult to describe how good she is. Cause she's just that, uh, dynamic really. Yeah, she is. She is like, she's super skilled. And, you know, we had, we, we were able to, you know, the women's frozen four last year was, was viewable on TV and she was right there, you know, and unfortunately Northeastern falls short. Um, um, or fortunately, depends on your perspective of that. Uh, I think if you're from Wisconsin, perhaps um, you would have. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the, the few yeah. reporters that was actually there. Yeah, so. exactly. I know. Yeah, you were you were on site, and that was yeah the uh, uh, that was that was a crazy crazy final. Um, but Alina Mueller, every time she touches the puck, it just feels like something is going to happen. Um, and and so I can't wait to see her on this stage as well. Um, and you'll get those opportunities. I did want to um, quickly run down the schedule. As we mentioned, USA and Canada, um, you will be able to watch them on USA Network in the US. Um, you know, I also did end up subscribing to Peacock and the off chance that I'm going to have to, things will be on tape delay and I'm going to need to watch them live. And uh, so that's another way to watch it if you haven't subscribed to enough things. But the very important disclaimer that I should have said at the very beginning of this is that the women's hockey tournament begins before the opening ceremonies Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, tomorrow is uh, USA will play Finland on February 3rd. 
Yes, and Canada plays Wednesday night. I think that's an important thing to know. Oh, it's yes, yeah, because of the time difference. Because of the time difference, some games are at, like between 10 and midnight-ish, and, and then the next morning at between like 5 and 10 right. a.m. So be <laughs> be careful about... It's the about... same day in China. It's yeah. not the same day here. Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking at a schedule, you need to make sure that you're, yeah, you're doing the... Yeah. Lots of places have been great about making converted schedules. Um, yes. I've shared uh, a few times USA Hockey Today shared a schedule. Yep. Um, but yeah, just be very careful that sometimes it's the night before and sometimes it's the next morning, but those are the same day in China. So you have to make sure you're paying attention. Yep. So um, I will, just because <laughs> I think most of our, most of the listeners are, are American based on what I'm seeing metric wise, uh, Finland, USA Finland is uh, at 8, 10 a.m. So that's a tough game right out of the gates for the U.S. You're going to learn a lot about the team, right? You know, first games of any tournament, always difficult. That one's going to be huge. Uh, Russian Olympic Committee, because we're still doing that thing because Russia you know, <laughs> cheated. Uh, that game is on Saturday at 8, 10 a.m., February 5th. Switzerland, so you'll get a chance to see Alina Mueller um, and, and a very good Swiss team, 8, 10 a.m. on Sunday. And then the big one, I, I had it wrong. I said that February 7th, it says it's February 8th um, is the game against Canada. That is at 11, 10 PM on a Tuesday night um, on actually that. So that would actually be, sorry, that would be what it, it is the seventh, our time. <laughs> it's not the seventh in China. So February 7th in the U S at 11, 10 PM Eastern time, that is when USA and Canada will play. So, and then the rest, we're, we're at the mercy of however the quarterfinals are scheduled, but those also, with the exception of one quarterfinal, those will be at reasonable hours. There is one that's at 3.40 a.m. Eastern time. Um, and then the gold medal game, uh, which is all important, February 16th at 11.10 p.m. It's a Thursday. Um, that is uh, That game will be on NBC proper. So you'll be able to watch that game on big NBC on the 17th. So you've got 14 days, you know, essentially to watch this tournament or fifth, you know, 15, I guess. Um, since I can't seem to keep my, well, no, four, see this now I'm getting screwed up. I'm not helping anybody, Nicole. I'm not helping anybody here. So, um, so go to a website and read a schedule because I can't, um, but, but it is, it, this really is the, the best on best. Um, this is the, the, the height of women's hockey. And as you mentioned, we talked about, you know, who are you going to pull off? You think about how hard it is to get for, for players to get to the NHL team. Well, they have 32 teams that they can make. If you're in North and if you're in North America, there are essentially 25, 23 spots every four years to play at the pin pinnacle of your sport. Yep. So to make the women's national program takes a special human being, a special hockey player, and it is one of the toughest things you can do in this sport is make USA or Canada at the national team level, because once those players get there, those spots are really, they, they do not give those spots up easily. Um, so Nicole, thank you so much for bringing your expertise. I, I want to leave the floor to you. What are, is there anything else about this tournament, anything else about women's hockey, anything else about what you're doing to cover the tournament that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, sure. Well, I would say one team that, isn't playing the U.S. that isn't in their division, but that I think is going to be worth watching is Czechia, uh, the former Czech Republic. 
Um, they are young. They are super interesting. Like, I think they're the team that has the biggest opportunity to sort of pull the, like, the Switzerland and win, win the bronze medal. Mm, okay. Um, I, like I think that. they're going to surprise people. They are young. But so like they're sort of on that upswing and they have a huge ceiling and whether or not they meet it and like rise to the occasion will remains to be seen. But I think you'll see some really good hockey from them. I think like if you're looking for a dark horse, like obviously they're, you know, they're not going to play in the gold medal game and, and like they might not, they might end up fifth, sixth, seventh, but I do think they'll be fun to watch. Cool. And they're sort of that team on the rise uh, that like, you know, we Finland a few years ago where it was like, they might steal a game. Um, but not necessarily be a contender. So for me, it's Chechia. Um, what else? Oh, I wanted to, I, I sat and did all the math. So one of the reasons like that I can talk about international hockey is because my job, like I'm the only woman that or the only person that covers women's collegiate hockey full-time. Like I right. write about all the teams that play 43% of the women playing in this Olympics have played NCAA hockey. Wow. Um, most of them do one. I think there's one person that played D3. So like that's across all 10 rosters. That's an incredible number, right? Like yes. there are 20 to 230 women because it's 23 women rosters for 10 teams. Um, and I, yeah, it gets close to 50 when I add in the women that have committed to play NCAA hockey, but, wow. you know, but yeah, so like, that's, you know, like these are literal world class, as you talked about, like these are players, like to get to play for one of these teams, especially us or Canada is like the pinnacle. It is, these are the best of the best. And like, Abby Murphy, who you specifically mentioned, um, Caroline Harvey, Kayla Barnes, Grace Sumwinkle, Alina Mueller. These are all women playing in college. And I think I'm pretty sure Northeastern doesn't charge to go to their games. Minnesota and Wisconsin charge under $10 a ticket. Like these are women you can go watch. A lot of the people in the country, either in the Midwest or the East, can go watch a lot of these players. So um, collegiate women's hockey is, is really good <laughs> and is. I think people yes. don't know that and like with the pro leagues there were there were sort of like new fans to women's hockey and they were like look at this new player I discovered and I was like cool <laughs> she played for so-and-so let me tell you all about it like I absolutely am that person that is consistent like but let me tell you about college hockey um but it's just because there is this amazing breadth of talent that plays for multiple countries and are like literally the best in the world and you can go watch them for cheaper than like a monthly rental for peacock or whatever you know yeah. like I think the season ticket for the badgers is like 60 or 70 dollars wow it's like they're the two-time defending then, national champions yeah and that's and and how many how many former badgers are playing in the olympics this year 10 i mean that's yeah 10 across you know multiple and and then yes you know, 10 badgers, dozens and 10 dozens golfers, a dozen umd players because umd wow. has players on a, uh, a quite a few international rosters yeah so yeah like and that's just the wcha but there you know there are players from vermont and maine and new hampshire and uh harvard and bu and bc and so yeah so like if you were, you know, lucky enough to be in one of those areas, which you probably are, if you're listening to your podcast, yes, uh, you're a hardcore hockey person. Like, there's a lot of uh, really great hockey that you can go watch. So, like, that's sort of my soapbox, and I apologize. I could go on and on about that. No, but, I'm glad yeah, you did. Just, you know, like everybody but Melo, Melody Dau on Canada played NCAA hockey or currently does. Um, everybody in the American team, and then um, 
I just uh, published an article about this last week on USCHO. So if you'd like to go see who played for what um, collegiate team that is up uh, there, and I can reshare that again on my Twitter, which is just my name, at Nicole Hazy, H-A-A-S-E. Um, but yeah, I just, that's sort of my soapbox is I think people are, you know, they get into the international game and they're like, it beat these players didn't like spring from a cabbage patch, like at 18, they were playing in your backyard. Um, and they're, they're yeah. pretty amazing and you get to watch, um, their development and, um, you know, like Emily Clark and Sarah nurse were like line mates and played really well together at Wisconsin. And you could see, you can see how that chemistry carries on, you know, and like, the number of former uh, Patty Kaz winners, uh, Patty Kazmeyer is the MVP for, for women's hockey. It's the Hobie Baker of women's hockey um, that are playing in these tournaments is, is a lot, you know? So um, like I said, that's, that's kind of my soapbox, which is just like, pay attention to women's hockey. And I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, women's hockey doesn't have checking. So I don't want to watch. And like, I would argue, I mean, this is somewhat tongue in cheek, but like, this is real hockey. Like they, they have to skate around each other or pass around each other. Like they can't just knock each other off the puck. Like, again, I, you know, I'm being on my soapbox and I'm being somewhat facetious, but like, if you are a fan of the game, like of the pure game, women's hockey is what it is. Like that's their, their, the passing and the puck movement and the way that they get around each other. Like they're, they're, they have to, the finesse is there at a level that I think isn't across the men's game um, yeah. in terms of like across the board. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, that for me, like I watch men's hockey now and I'm kind of like annoyed by it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, <laughs> over. And that's just because I spend, you know, hours every week watching women's hockey. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I just, women's hockey is a really interesting game at the top level. And, and um, I, I really, I, it's just my preference at this point because of, of the way that they play. And I think that people need to give it more of a chance. Um, cause they're like, Oh, they don't, they don't hit each other. And it's like, yeah. well, watch a U.S. Canada game. Cause it's yeah. plenty physical. Yeah. It's very like, physical. It's like, have you ever seen a Lamaru go into a corner? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, it's, it's, yeah. I assume it, that's what Abby Murphy is role is taking. Yeah, over. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, I think like Abby Murphy, I think like, like Abby rock is kind of like the spiritual heir to kind of the way that yeah. they play as well. And so I'm um, very excited to see, that's probably one of the reasons I'm most excited to see Abby rock because the Lamaroos are my favorite players of all time. Um, so in uh, college, uh, my friends that uh, are, are Badger fans that would like go to every game they called it was the Abby rock hat trick, which was the goal assist and penalty. penalty. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Penalty. Yeah. She, yeah. She's, she's aggressive. There's no question about <laughs> it. So, um, Nicole, thank you so much for, for, for joining me. Please read her work at USCHO where you can read about these women well before they play in the Olympics. And some of them, when they return from the Olympics, um, you'll be able to read them on USCHO. You can also read her at the Victory Press. Um, Nicole is a freelance writer as well. So if you are an editor that happens to be listening to this podcast, there's always, uh, you want somebody that, that knows women's hockey backwards and forwards. And certainly the Olympic, uh, the Olympic team and the US national team, Wisconsin hockey, I mean, we can go on and on and on. But uh, you have definitely uh, honed your craft to a degree that is uh, very uh, not only respectable, but at the top of your field. And I, I really appreciate you having uh, the time and, and the willingness to come onto the podcast to help educate this uh, listenership on of, of very specific hockey nerds um, to uh, <laughs> to. Under yeah, yeah, We're, <laughs> we, we, we are we are the nichiest podcast going today, uh, yeah. but we are we are excited. And, and thank you so much for joining the Talking Hockey Sense. 
of course. It's funny you said that because I always say I have the world's smallest niche, but it's mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are we are cut from the same cloth in in, in different ways, <laughs> but yeah. So so Nicole, thank you so much for uh, for joining the podcast and and everybody. Make sure to follow her work and and follow her on Twitter. I'll let you plug your tweet your Twitter handle. Sure, it's at Nicole Hazy. So it's just my name and I C O L E H A A S E. Easy enough. That's how it should be done. I had to find an initial for mine. That's the way it goes. But Nicole is unique enough to not have to do that. So once again, thank you. Thanks for, for sharing everything with these uh, these listeners. And I cannot wait to enjoy the tournament. Same. Thank you for having me. And once again, my thanks to Nicole for joining me this week. So great to have her insight. So just a, a depth of insight that she offers. Um, really appreciative of that. But we got more to get to. And really excited to have my pal Stephen Ellis here to talk a bit about the Olympics. We're going to talk a lot about Team Canada because he is based in Canada from the Hockey News. We're going to talk a lot about the different prospects that are going to be playing in this tournament. Um, you know, whether the U.S. strategy is going to work with going younger. But we focus more on the European teams and different names. And so um, this is a way for you, if you want to follow the Olympics, I think a great way to kind of familiarize yourself with the rosters and kind of some of the things. One of the things that I think Steven does really well is he basically watches all sorts of international hockey. He saw a lot of the Channel One Cup where a lot of these teams, or at least segments of these teams, played earlier in the fall. So tons of great insight there. But he will continue our massive Olympic preview with his thoughts on the men's tournament. So without further ado, I send it over to Stephen Ellis of the Hockey News. Very excited to be joined by Stephen Ellis. You know his work from the Hockey News. If there is uh, an international tournament going on anywhere in the world, Stephen is probably watching at least part of it. Um, and he is now the the definition of, uh, you know, there, there used to be the old old joke, we'll trade you away so that the Hockey News can't even find you uh, to some some location they can't even find. Well, Stephen Ellis, that would that's not an option. He knows where everything is. So, uh, Stephen, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Thanks for for hopping on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. So we are here to talk about the Olympics and we are both international hockey psychos. Um, I think that's probably the, the, the kindest term that I can use for the two of us, uh, in that regard. Um, but with that in mind, um, I'm, you know, I'm excited about the, the men's tournament. We're not, we're not going to have the NHL players. We're not going to have the best on best, but there is a level of intrigue. Um, we talked already a couple of weeks ago about the U S roster. Um, you're based in Canada. You're Canadian. Um, I don't say that pejoratively. Um, <laughs> as, but I also, uh, you know, this, this Canadian roster, they won bronze in, in 2018. I think this roster is on paper is a little better, a little more exciting. Owen Power, Eric Stahl. We've got a lot of uh, bigger names uh, that people are familiar with. What is your, what was your initial reaction when you saw the roster? What are the things that stand out to you about this Canadian team? Well, first off, I'm really excited 
for the fact there aren't NHLers. Like, obviously, I'd rather see McDavid and Matthews and Ovechkin play, but we're looking at something here where 2018 was fantastic hockey, really competitive, where you're seeing Slovenia going out there and upsetting people, and you got Germany going for the goal, and that was pretty cool. But um, the way I'm kind of looking at it for Canada, it's like this This seems, again, a little bit more fun than the last time. Uh, you look at that team last year, it really felt like they just kind of went for veteran experience, and they didn't really bring many young guys. And there was obviously the talk of uh, Kale McCarr got asked, and he declined. But looking at this team now and it's like there's there's some good youthful energy in there you've got a guy like Owen Power who could be very important for this team Mason McTavish is just like he's played on every team in the world apparently this year I believe it's the sixth team he's about to play for this year so he's been busy and uh, when you're looking at it it, it, it's fun with that it's got the fun young guys but then you got the veterans who are important players on the team uh Eric Stahl obviously being kind of that big veteran presence. Uh, I'm a big fan of Maxime Noreau's play. Uh, it's been kind of ma a massive player in the, the top Swiss league for so long. Uh, and then the goaltending situation, you got Devin Levi, who's been having one of the best seasons we've seen from a college goalie in a long time. And Edward Pasquale, who's one of the best goalies playing in Europe, period. So you have those two guys playing. It's like, it's, it's a lot of fun. So this is a Canadian team I have high hopes for. Um, but at the same time, you look at that team in 2018, you thought, well, it should beat Germany. It should be able to go to the final and they didn't so it's it's i just like the fact that the the whole tournament's kind of the talent level is a lot closer than what what it would be like in 2014 or 2010 uh where it was like canada and usa and russia kind of the dominant teams and that's it's not as exciting sweden too um but this anyone could really win and i think that's fun uh, and canadian fans should be pretty excited about the group they have yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, looking at the the average ages of the teams here, Canada is about fourth in terms of uh, the oldest, the fourth oldest team at an average age of about 29.7. So, you know, th that that shows the mix, the balance, because they have the young guys like the Owen Powers and Jack McBain, who's having a phenomenal season at Boston College. And, um, you know, and then Mason McTavish, as you mentioned, who I think could be a significant player for them based on what we saw at the World Juniors, based on just how he played when he was with the Ducks this year. I mean, I thought he was going to stick, to be honest, um, but I, I don't have, you know, it makes sense to not have everybody be young on the ducks right now uh, with the exception of Ryan gets So um, yeah, but I, I would also say uh, that I'm intrigued by the goaltending situation. I think Devin Levi was a guy that, you know, based on having one, essentially the greatest performance numbers wise by a goaltender without the gold medal um, by a Canadian goalie there at the world juniors last season um, really just came down to Spencer Knight being, you know, two goals better than him, uh, that one, that one night. Um, so, uh, very excited to see that. But the other thing that, that happened this week with team Canada is that there is now a shakeup at the top. Um, Claude, Claude Julian fell during a team building exercise, broke his ribs, and now Jeremy Colleton will take over. Um, and Jeremy Colleton, of course, uh, fired by the Blackhawks. And I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, maybe the least popular coach they've, they've ever had. Um, and I think it was completely unfair because he was never put in a position to succeed. Um, and uh, that's not necessarily on him, but now he has this big opportunity to lead Canada at the Olympics. What are your expectations for Jeremy Colleton behind the bench in this emergency situation? 
See, it's tough because usually you don't see coaching changes before a tournament begins. Um, mm -hmm. you, usually when you look at coaching changes, we're talking about in NHL season midway through. Okay, you see what the team could do before. In this case, it's kind of like he's never coached these players and he's just kind of thrown into this the last second. Um, but he, he, it's, you know what, it's Julian was probably going to be one of the more highly regarded coaches there. And it's such a shame kind of what happened to him. But there's an opportunity for Colton to kind of say, you know what, like I got put into a Blackhawks team was on, that was on the decline and didn't do much to address that the entire time I was there and I could never go up. This is now a chance for him to say, to kind of redeem himself and maybe show that he could be a good coach. Like you said, I, I don't know how fair all the criticism was when the team was never like, like the coach can only do as much as the team has given you and the GM has brought in for you. And the Blackhawks, again, like the, look at the team the last couple of years. Look at the goaltending situation outside of Mark Andre Fleury uh, for a couple of years. It's been kind of a rough thing. So I don't necessarily blame him for all that. Uh, that being said, uh, is he a better coach than Claude Julian? Well, statistically and historically, no. Obviously, he's a much newer coach. But this is something where uh, Colton's closer in age to a lot of these guys, which is kind yeah. of funny because being so young himself, uh, he could probably play at the Olympics. Um, but um, he, it, it's something where I think the fact that they hadn't actually started playing in the tournament yet and they hadn't, that they're still in training camp, they're still kind of practicing together. Uh, it, it's a chance where he's kind of be able to kind of get integrated quickly. And uh, so, I guess we'll have to see. So uh, yeah. usually in an Olympic competition for team Canada, it doesn't really matter who the coach is. It's just throw anybody in and they're going to win, but it's obviously a little different when you've got to get these, these guys together. And Claude Julian did have the opportunity of coaching some of these guys at the channel one cup and Colleton did. So this is going to be something where he's got to, he's got to adapt pretty quickly. Yeah, that's, that is a great point. I was going to ask you, um, you know, essentially can hockey Canada managed to get a team into the channel one cup this year. It's not a tournament that they would normally have a team in. Um, it, it was fortuitous that that was, that was possible. A number of the players that made the Olympic team played in that tournament. Um, I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch much of it or all of it. Um, but what were your impressions from that event of the players that ultimately ended up making this roster? Well, the one name that kind of seemed like an opportunity to be the backup goalie or the third goalie of Canada was Justin Pogge, and he did everything in his power to make sure that didn't happen right off the bat, where he played absolutely terrible in, in that, that first game against Russia. I believe it was. And the Canadian team, it, it's, it was kind of a tough one because while some of those guys obviously will play in the Olympics, um, there was another half of that team that was going to play at the Spangler Cup. Right. Uh, so we didn't really get a chance to see what this kind of group um, together. And uh, so, so it was tough. But I, I think I liked a little bit what I saw, especially from the defense. I thought they were really using the blue line to get a lot of uh, offense there. Matt Robinson was good, Brandon Gormley. And um, uh, there was no, no like Eric Stahl and stuff like that. So some of those key offensive guys are missing. But there was something where – once they started to figure things out, once they started to get more comfortable, because they did come together kind of last minute. And when you play at a tournament like that, like Russia's team doesn't change drastically from different Euro hockey tour tournaments um, at a time. So they're pretty, uh, pretty close to each other. Canada, like none of these guys have played together. Hey, let's right. throw you in with like one practice and go play. And it was not very lucky and uh, very fortunate for them. But once they got comfortable, they played really well. I think they just kind of, found themselves chasing too much in that tournament, which didn't help, but it's a bit of adversity start and we could see there was some chemistry going. So well, while defense might not be the best position for Canada, at least I think I you saw some promising signs where they, they can rely on those guys to, to move the puck. Well, uh, it's just keeping those shots away. Now, granted, uh, uh, Pogi also in, in the one game, the two games he played did allow some pretty poor goals and it kind of skewed what could have happened there for Canada. But I, I was, I was, pleased with how Canada played, I should say. Okay. And, and one, a guy that they didn't have that they will now and did play in the world championship 
Owen Power, number one overall pick from the Buffalo Sabres. This is a showcase event for him as much as it is for um, Canada as a whole. He was essentially a top pairing defenseman down the stretch at the World Championships. He's been a top defenseman. He's the leading scoring defenseman among all blue liners in the NCAA this year, despite missing five games um, already. And he still has that lead on the, on the field. Um, no longer the point per game leader uh, among defensemen, but still a very impressive um, stretch that he's been on there. Is it fair to expect him to be top pairing, possibly even the number one at this stage, or will some, will that go to a more senior player? If we know anything about Hockey Canada, they'll typically kind of ease him in. And, and mm-hmm. I think in terms of pure talent, I think he's probably the best player they got on the blue line and any one of the best players on the team, period. Um, but this is something where I think they'll kind of ease in, let the the the, the European guys, the, the European-based guys get those opportunities. The, the one thing about it is I know a lot of people say, like, it'd be great if Canada could just have entered their World Junior team. But it's like it's still a team of players who most of them have no pro experience going against a bunch of pros. It was not going to go well for them. And um, that's, so looking at that, I think, uh, you know what, I'm, Owen Power is going to be eased into it, but I don't think it'll take long for him to kind of get really comfortable. I, I'm, I'm expecting when they go play Germany and China, he's probably going to be the ice, the, the, the minute leader there for Canada. Um, and maybe a throw in with a guy like Maxime Noro, who's kind of like hockey Canada's go-to guy for any event that the pros or the NHLers don't go to. Uh, like, Heck, maybe Canada would just throw him at the uh, in the Olympics if the NHLers did go, just because they love him so much. He's been in the Spengler Cup. He's he's been an alternate of the World Championship team. He's been involved with this team for so long, and that's a good guy to have working in full and power. And they Canada trusts him. He's an assistant captain for the team, and I think having him mixed with a veteran probably will help boost his ice time, but will also just give him more guidance and maybe boost his confidence to do the plays he needs to do. He it's it's almost like. You don't want him doing almost all the work on the pairing because um, he still is a kid. He still does make mistakes sometimes. He's still developing, but he's someone where the talent level, you're looking at him. It, it won't be long. If he doesn't start the tournament on the top pair, I don't think it'll be long until he actually is on the top pair. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw we saw him build up in the world championship, and I was like, hey, this kid needs to play a lot more. And and he did, and then he just was their guy. And, and it, it was remarkable to watch. Um He's intriguing. We talked about Macy McTavish, a little bit about Jack McBain, but I think that a lot of, uh, if you are a hockey prospect watcher, one of the names that you will be watching very carefully in this tournament, and one of the players, I should say, is Josh Hosang. And he has 20 points in 27 AHL games this year. You know, the fact that he made it over, say, Kent Johnson, who is an alternate for the team and on the taxi squad, um, and is going to Beijing to just sit in a hotel and hope that somebody gets injured or hurt or, or sick or something and be able to play. Um, Josh Hosang is here and, you know, not a, not a long history with hockey Canada. Um, he, he's played, he played in the world under 17 hockey challenge, never in a Holinka, never in a world junior, um, never in a Ben's world championship. And here's a guy that was in Sweden last year, just on loan, just, so he had a place to play, didn't play a lot. And now he comes back. He's really started to rebuild his career. What are reasonable expectations for, for Jock, Josh Hosang in this tournament? Well, it's kind of funny because the day that they announced Canada's roster and they did the, um, they did the uh, media availabilities of the coaching staff and then the, the, the chain donor GM for the Canadians there, 
the Leafs were also doing a media availability just their normal day. And, and a bunch of those people were talking about Josh Hosang there. And then Hockey Canada's thing was talking about Josh Hosang at the same time. And it's like, there's a lot of Josh Hosang content going on at the same time. Um, but he's someone where this is an opportunity for him to really thrust his way back into an NHL role because he, he's on an NHL deal. He could go to the NHL after this tournament, uh, or maybe he just kind of rides it out in the AHL, kind of just tries to finish what he's been doing in the Marlies, which has been a lot. He's been a very key figure for that team. And I think it's someone where, um, the, the coaching staff loved him. He, they had nothing but great things to say about him. And they, they, one thing they said is he's a lot more mature than he was at a younger age, which, you know, he's older, I believe he's 26. So that kind of makes sense. But um, having spent all this time kind of the minors and over, overseas, he's had these opportunities to really grow as a player. And then we know his offense, uh, when he gets hot, he gets hot. So I think this is a guy who's going to be playing uh, very important moments or minutes in this team. Uh, not a ton of KHL guys. And if you look, the AHL is probably the closest in comparison and skill level. So I think he's going to be uh, given every opportunity to shine. And um, I, I really like what he, what he'll do in terms of probably, he'll probably be top six, but he'll be a good impactful player that um, might even be one of the top scorers in the tournament. If all goes uh, well, because he, he's got something to prove here. A lot of these guys, they've got contracts for next year in Europe. They're not moving, but Hosang's got nothing, and he's looking for the next opportunity. And this is a chance for him to kind of show. You know what? I'm really being back in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, what a what a story it would be. I think that's probably one of the things about the attention that it's got that that he's gotten in the buildup to the tournament is that you know if if he does manage to have success, it's one of the great redemption stories. Um, you know, I think that he has now admitted in his interviews, the things that, that prevented him from playing in the NHL. There was a long time where Josh Hosang would say it was this, that, or the other thing, and never really himself. Um, and, and he is a guy that had to find that maturity said that he felt entitled to things at a, at a period in his career. Um, and, and now I feel like he has, uh, kind of figured it out and, you know, we, we, he's, he's really not a prospect anymore by the definition. He's 26 years old. He's, you know, he's, if he does make it to the NHL, he's not going to be elder, eligible for the Calder trophy or, or things like that. But, you know, he is um, he's a player that has long intrigued ho- anybody that's watched him since, you know, going back to his minor hockey days. And, and I'm very excited to see what he brings. And if he does, I mean, what a, what a tremendous story that'll be. I mean, a lot of, there are a lot of other, very familiar names on this roster. I don't want to go through all of them, but you know, there are guys like, you know, Brandon Gormley, who was a a big time prospect for a long time. um, Never really panned out quite the way that people expected him to Jason Demers uh, coming, coming back and, and, you know, wasn't really playing anywhere, got in, got an opportunity and then is in the KHL now, Mark Barbario, um, you know, Tyler Wotherspoon, you guys that you might've seen kind of going between the AHL and the, and the NHL and and different things like that. Um, Adam Cracknell, uh, David DeHarnay, um, Landon Ferraro, who we all know as as Ray Ferraro's son, but at one point was uh, was a top prospect in in Canada, played in the Under 18 World Championship and things of that nature. Um, you know, and there's also Daniel Winnick, Jordan Wheel, but I think you know the captain is Eric Stahl, and the fact that they are able to pluck a triple gold club member to be on this team. Um, to and and boy, he looked really good with the Iowa Wild too. Uh, when he got in a few games with them to get back in game shape, he'll wear the C for Canada. I mean, this is, he's very much the face of this team. Absolutely. It's kind of like the, like when USA brought Brian Gian on the team, and yeah. it's like, yeah, we, we know you're not going to bring a ton to this team. You haven't played at a super high level in a while, but 
you're going to be important in a lot of ways. And Eric Stahl uh, played really well in the AHL, uh, so we know he could still do it. And and there was an argument to me when you look at his playoff performance that this is a guy that you know still had something going for him. He didn't play well in the regular season, that's for sure. I think he had like like only a few points for the Canadians all year of last year. But but when he got comfortable with in the playoffs, it's like a totally different player. So this guy has a history of looking pretty good when it matters, and that's I think that's going to be important. Uh, you look at his he still got some speed. Uh, that's one of the things that Shane Doan really. Um, really kind of mentioned is something he really liked in his game and that he, he really attacks the play and you know that the leadership's important that's why he's the captain and one name that a lot of people are not talking about a lot on this team is Corbin Knight and yeah yeah so he's, uh, he's he's having a fantastic season in Omsk and he was a, basically a point per game player for his entire uh, college career at uh, North Dakota and uh, he had some moments there in the AHL where it's like, okay there might be something there never really could fit in the NHL I believe it was Florida Calgary and then teams like that he was with but then he's made a good career from the KHL so I like him a lot but, but when you look at Stahl obviously you know that he's someone where the young guys are going to rely on him and it, it's funny when you look at him he he made his first NHL like he made his debut like 256 days after Mason McTavish was born. And if you look at that age <laughs> yeah. gap, it's pretty funny. So uh, it's going to be cool to see kind of what he did. It seems like a guy that every team has loved having him there. And I think that's something where, yeah, no brainer for team Canada, no brainer for captaincy. And when, when they announced the NHL was going, it's like stalls could be one of the first guys called and that ended up being the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and pretty easy to pick up the phone when, uh, when Shane Doan's giving you a ring, say, Hey, get, get, get ready. Um, and he did. And, and as you mentioned, you know, I played, I, I didn't have a chance. I was hoping to go to see the Iowa wild games that he was in just to get a, get a look at him at that level. And yeah, five points in four games for the Iowa wild and, and, and ready to go. So, so we've talked a lot about Canada, but I mean, you know, you are, are definitely experienced and, and have knowledge of all these teams. Um, and, you know, I think that everybody's going to look to Russia as, or the Olympic athletes from Russia or the Russian Olympic committee. However, they're going to go by Russian Olympic committee this year. If we want to be technical about it. Um, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they are, you know, the odds on favorite. Um, they, they are the defending gold medalists. They will have a number of players that, that have, you know, golden experience. Um, they will have a lot of, KHL stars, um, on their roster. And, um, that is definitely an advantage to them just that they have players that have had that continuity, as you mentioned, also playing in international events like the, uh, the European hockey tour, which includes the channel one cup and other things of that nature. Um, you know, thinking of just familiar names to NHL fans, um, Mikhail Grigorenko, Nikita Gusev, um Vadim Shipachov uh and his uh his like five minute stint with uh with the with the Vegas Golden Knights um Anton Slepeshev um yeah uh, Nikita Nesterov Slava Voinov uh, <laughs> um as uh he'll be there um you know and there are some players that have um NHL ties as well in terms of you know were drafted by or prospects of um but th- this is going to be a very interesting uh team i think they're going to be very difficult to beat but i wouldn't say that they are a lock to win the gold medal at this stage i think that there's a lot of parity in this tournament um but what are some of the things beyond what i just mentioned the players names that i just mentioned that stand out about russia and maybe their chances for gold in this this opportunity in in 2022 well this team it almost feels underwhelming compared to what they brought in 2018 where like Ilya Kovalchuk and Kaprizov and Gusev and like at the time Kovalchuk yeah was 
later in his NHL or later in his pro career. And he's the GM of this team without really kind of retiring. Uh, and then Kaprizov's obviously left and Gusev, his, his stock has kind of fallen since he went to the NHL, just do that. Obviously his rookie season there were, there were some pretty solid numbers there. I just couldn't really kind of fit there full time. And, um, but this is not, as exciting of a team as that group. Now, that being said, there's still good depth in this team. Uh, I think their goaltending is pretty solid. You could, I, Alexander Samanoff, I wouldn't be shocked if he got some NHL attention at some point. He's 26, so he's getting a little older there, but he's someone where I, I think there's definitely some potential there. Uh, Ivan Fedotov, the uh, Flyers prospect, having a pretty solid season this year. Doesn't have like a long history with uh, Russia's. Uh, a national team, but he did play the Euro hockey tour action this year. And, and, uh, Bilyov, uh, Timur Bilyov is also another solid goalie. So their goaltending is looking good. Uh, their defense is just fine. It's, it's kind of just a Russian staple. It's like, you don't really need to do too much research on Russia's defense. Just know that it's usually not that great. And that, that having done the research on this team, yeah, the defense is not going to be a standout quality. Um, but they're scoring. Uh, I, I don't think that would necessarily be an issue. Um, I just don't know if there's like a, a game changer on this team like we saw of Capper's off or what we saw of Kolchak and uh, Gustav, I think, will be very important. Shibachov, still one of the best players in the KHL. Um, Kirill Marchenko, I'd like to see what he's able to do. Yeah. Um, uh, Dmitry Voronkov, um, yep. Blue Jackets prospect. Um, so there's definitely some good young prospect power on this team. Um, but we also know Russia at the men's level doesn't exactly give their young guys a ton of great opportunity. So we'll see kind of how they take it there. So, um, Russia's definitely going to be a contender for a medal. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm don't know if I'm in love with this team when you look at it. It's just, it's, it's not as splashy as, as exciting or as, as offensively gifted as we saw in the last team. Now, granted, this is still someone where you're, you're probably going to have NHL guys, NHL prospects playing on your fourth line. You could do way worse than that. Um, but that also just kind of shows you like the, the KHL is one of the best leagues in the world. And there's a lot of talent there to choose from. And, and this team should still be, Again, one of the favorites out there, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. And just look at the coaching staff. Alexei Jamnov, Sergei Fedorov, <laughs> Sergei Gonchar. I mean, we're talking about guys that have done it at the Olympic level uh, and done it at the NHL level, um, played at the very highest level uh, of hockey here. And um, I believe Jamnov was on the, uh, the, the unified team and uh, that, that won gold after the fall of the Soviet Union. So... Um, but he's back to coach and it'll be very interesting to watch that group play. Um, we do expect them to be difficult to beat, but, you know, I, I think we go from that end of the spectrum and I wanted to talk about the, the, the tournament host China. And there was a lot of consternation about whether or not China should, their team should be able to play. And if you're not familiar with how this team was built, essentially it's the roster from the Kunlun Red Star, the last place team in the KHL minus 97 goal differential um many north american born players on the roster half the team is north american including jake chelios whose father was a four-time u.s olympian uh but congrats to jake a fellow chicago guy you know and he grew up in michigan mostly but you know uh born in chicago i believe and and he's going to be playing for China. So that's the kind of thing that you've got. You've got some guys that played internationally for, for the U S and Jeremy Smith. Um, it'll probably be their starting goaltender, but you kind of followed the, the whole process of China actually getting into the Olympics. Um, and you know, you, in talking to people around international hockey, there is a real concern that this team is going to get, um, embarrassed in the international stage. What are your thoughts now that we know that they're here and, and now, 
you know, it's a little, it shouldn't be as bad because the NHL players aren't coming, but this would have been the roster if the NHL was here as well. Yeah. This is one where like, even if we ignore like all the, the political stuff going on with as the country itself and everything going there, um, this is a team where, there'll be a lot of questions and, and you know, the WHF said like that they met the requirements to let these guys play because I believe it's still over half the team built up of guys playing for, born in Canada, USA. And, and there was nine players that played uh, for the, the, that are like actual from China trained in the area, then up going to the KHL and combined, they have three points ever in the KHL. Uh, and two of them were uh, goals to Rudy Yang, who actually kind of made his, the stable playing junior hockey over in Canada, the United States. So uh, not exactly a group there where it's going to inspire a ton of people, but you're looking at it and say, yeah, okay, well, this looks kind of silly. There's a lot of guys here that are not KHL or not, not actual Chinese players. And Jeremy Smith is probably the funniest one out there. Uh, not again, very not Chinese name, um, but something where they had to prove the WHF that they could be a competitive team. And they're dead last in the KHL, Greenland Red Star, and they've been pretty much dead last for years. But there's a lot of drama is like, would they be allowed to actually use these players from Kulin or would they be forced to use what they have to use during the world championship tournaments, which they haven't played in uh, since 2019, obviously because of COVID. And that's a team that's 32nd, in the world and they're losing to teams like Serbia and Romania. So then all of a sudden you throw that team against Canada and it would be an absolute disaster. So having guys like, like, like Ethan Ware, Spencer Fu, Tyler Wong, and those guys having to play on this team definitely uh, boosts the profile of the team a little bit. Um, but we're still talking about guys who like at best were like call-ups to the NHL. So it's not a good team to begin with. Um, it's, it's something where, yeah, we're going to still see, I think, some embarrassing losses out there. And it's something where uh, it's even if the NHL was there, it would have been really hard to classify it as a best on best tournament where one of the teams there uh, clearly just didn't have the talent for it. Um, and, and I feel bad because a lot of these players like it's it's a lot of unfair and negative press going against them. They're just there to play. They're just there to, to represent right. a country. So they, like if you look at the guys who are actually from China, like this, this is the biggest moment they'll ever have in their hockey career. And it, but there's no like positive press, but there's no positive attention. It's, it's, Oh, they're just going to be absolutely destroyed. And unfortunately you look at it when, when teams in the past have brought like, like Italy and Germany of many, many, many years ago, we bring these teams of, of uh, non-local guys. They'd bring in these right. import players to kind of fill a spot, South Korea, 2018. And then once those guys leave, they just did nothing on the development path and they did not improve. And Italy is a team where like, considering they played in the Olympics in, in 2006 and they're supposed to be in the next Olympics, you'd think that maybe they'd be more consistent and be better, but they're just at best, just kind of bouncing in the, between the top and the, the second division, which is not good for them. So, um, this doesn't necessarily help China in a lot of cases. The hope is maybe they'll have one game that's kind of close and that like against Germany, for example, and that, that might be like, okay, well, that's enough to kind of boost it. But there's just not a lot of interest in hockey. Uh, I've talked to people yeah. over there just say like hockey is just a complete afterthought. Add in the fact that this Kunlin team hasn't played in China in two years and that most of the team is built up of players not from China. It's, it's, they're not, they weren't able to build up fan support. So it, it's a bit of a mess, um, but they're there. And uh, so we'll have to see what happens. But you know, like you look at South Korea, they kind of had a couple of games where they weren't totally embarrassed and they kind of put up a fight. They kind of showed, okay, like we're trying our best. You can only hope that for China. I just, I, I can't see it. This is, this is at least from what I've seen, the worst Olympic team we've ever seen. Ooh, man. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I mean, I can't, 
I can't disagree. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, when you you look at it and you're just like, wow, you know, this is this is the Olympics, and it, it doesn't necessarily feel like it, but that's what it is. So I want to bounce around a little bit here. We're not going to focus a ton on individual players so much as as kind of some of the stories and and, and different things. Like one of the teams that I'm I'm I'll be watching closely just because of that. There are there are NHL draft implications for this team is Slovakia. Uh, Simon Nemitz and also uh, Uri Slavkovsky are on the roster. They are both draft eligible, likely to be top 10 picks or top 15 picks in the NHL draft. Um, they also have Samuel Nashko, uh, who is a Columbus Blue Jacks, Blue Jackets prospect. Peter Solaric, who who is tied to the Bruins, really not, I mean, the loosely tied. Um, they still have his rights, essentially. Um, and Matej Tomek, who also still has rights, um, could be retained by Philadelphia's never went anywhere after that, but like, you know, those are the, who has their NHL ties. And then there are others and uh, other players that, that, you know, you may have heard of, or, you know, Thomas Yurko, of course, and Marco Dano and uh, Milo Roman and all these players that, that have, you know, had some tangential connection to the NHL or NHL experience itself. Um, but I'm. I think that Slovakia is going to be an interesting team here, and, and certainly interesting to watch for us, that especially as we prepare for the draft. But things are building up for Slovakia again a little bit more now that we are seeing some of these players coming through, and it should be a very important NHL draft for them as a country. This is something where we're looking at Slovakia, and they could. It, it's not unrealistic to say they could go out there and contend for the win in Group C when they're playing in Sweden, Finland, and Latvia, where. Maybe that's more of a knock on Sweden, not looking like the strongest team and Finland being pretty solid this year in international hockey, but then Slovakia just having kind of this, like we got nothing to lose situation here where they're trying to make sure that they're kind of safely in the next Olympics and not having to worry about going through the, the prelim or the, um, the, the tournaments that put you into it, um, the qualification tournament, that is. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of good young talent there. Slavkovsky, Nemesh, Nasco, pretty good. Peter Solaric uh, is maybe one of the more underrated players in this tournament who could be a top five, top 10 goal scorer in this tournament. Uh, he was outstanding at the World Championship. And he's been kind of good at any recent tournament he's been involved in. Um, and the goaltending, I think, is also pretty good there. It's something where I think Branislav Conrad's probably their guy. He's a veteran guy around 30-something years old, but he's been very good for them for a long time internationally. And if he if things don't go well there, they got Matej Tomek and Patrick Rybar. So some good young talent there, some good prospects. And uh, I, I think that it, it they might need a, a bit of a perfect run, which is a lot easier said than done, obviously. But I think it's something where they could – probably surprised people in the way that maybe Germany did. I think this is a, probably a stronger team than Germany when they made the gold medal game in 2018, if, if I'm looking at it that way. Yeah. And you know what? I think that people, I think a lot of teams have belief for this tournament because of that 2018 German team when, you know, really they had some guys that were former NHL players like Christian Erhoff and Marcel Gotch, but then they had, um, you know, really only one guy that was going to play in the NHL in the immediate future and Dominic Cahoon. And besides that, it was mostly just European pros. So, yeah, I think that if you're a team like Slovakia, that team should give you some belief. Now you touched on Sweden and I want to get to that because I've talked to some of my friends in Sweden and a lot of them are looking at the roster and saying, oh, it's only okay. It seems like they're bringing about four fourth lines and, and, and that's not to even, in saying that, though, it might 
it, it, it's a choice. You know, you go that way. There's no William Eklund. There's no Simon Edmondson. Simon Edmondson said that he was was not going to go, even if asked. Um, but, you know, there's not a ton of a dynamic element on this team. Pontus Holmberg is the only signed NHL or not signed NHL prospect, but a drafted NHL prospect um, on here with, you know, tied to the to the Maple Leafs. Then you've got guys like Joachim Nordstrom, Marcus Kruger, Anton Lander, um, Dennis Everberg, Jacob De La Rose, Lucas Walmark, who I think I already said, but, you know, several players that have played in the NHL. Um, But really, I felt like this Swedish roster didn't have a whole lot of imagination to it. It just felt like a very, let's get a bunch of muckers and grinders and let's go try and win this thing. Um, Your thoughts. It's almost like they are trying the the Finland model of let's grind our way to wins. When you look at Finland, the, tw- the 2019 World Championship team that uh, won gold, and they had no full-time NHL players on the team and kind of caught everyone by surprise. And uh, this is almost what this Swedish team looks like, but it's just I really don't think this is – is this the best group you could have put in? Uh, there was a big argument to be made that Jesper Walsh had, had the stats that should have made him the number one goalie on this team. Yeah. And Simon Edmondson would have been on this th- – Definitely should have been on this team too. So uh, it's something where Sweden as a whole internationally has struggled for a few years. They're below Germany in the world rankings, which is really hard to believe. Granted that 2018 uh, Olympic tournament helped and obviously not having the 2022 or 2020 world championship uh, definitely helped there too. But uh, I think it's something where this team is not going to be a lot of offense. They're going to have to shut teams down. There's, there's some solid defense there. I think there's a lot of stay at home defense, not a very big team too. I believe their, their average height is about six, like six foot and a half, maybe. Um, and their goaltending is kind of hit or miss too. Definitely not the three best goalies. I think that they could have had to them, but I think that Magnus Helberg is uh, still like, it was not long ago. He was playing in the NHL and he's looking for another chance to get back there. And um, so I'm not loving this team. Definitely not. Uh, they're not as good as Finland, and uh, it's something where they're going to have to probably grind their ways to win. And you kind of said it's a bunch of fourth lines, and that's honestly how it feels. Now, even Swedish hockey fans are kind of saying, like, this this team's yeah. not exciting for sure, um, but this is an opportunity. See, like, people are going to discount us. we got nothing to lose at this point. Let's let's see what this group can do. And uh, I know it's the, the team, the, the players themselves are probably not reading, like, HF boards to see all this, but uh, they uh, <laughs> that they're – it's well who knows maybe uh but uh they uh this is a team that's just underwhelming to the extreme i should say yeah i think that's probably the best way to put it it's the way that it is um and you know you think about what they could have had if they had nhl players and you're like wow that's that's pretty good and i mean the amazing thing was is even like earlier this season swedish commentators on on tv were saying hey let's simon edmondson might be might go to this tournament even if the nhl goes because that's how much they mm-hmm. had faith in him now i don't know if that actually would have happened but still it's it's pretty impressive um when i move on to finland also in group c and there are three groups if you're unaware there are three groups in this tournament there's also a qualification round there's a you know a couple different steps that are different for this tournament that are as opposed to the world juniors um which a lot of you are probably more familiar with but Finland, as you mentioned, I, I agree. I think they are a better team on paper. Um, they have a little bit more skill. They have some some good veterans on the team. That you know, there are some familiar names: Leo Komarov, um, uh, Marcus Granlund, Valtteri Filppula, um, uh, Sami Vatanen, uh, and so like those are just some of the names that that you'd be more familiar with. Um, but you know, I think there there's a lot of you know they didn't go 
very young on this team. They did not go very domestic on this team in terms of Liga players. Um, I was a little surprised that Topi Niemela was not among the defensemen um, here because I think that he is an outstanding young player. He's putting up great points in, in Liga this year, um, but not a lot of guys in the domestic league, mostly KHL players. Obviously, Jokerit has a KHL team, so that makes it a little different. Um, but there are a lot of players on here that have world championship success, and that could make a huge difference, and I'm sure will play into how this team is viewed publicly. Yeah, I believe, like, like uh, I remember seeing the numbers on something like almost the over 50 games of Olympic experience on this team and almost 500 games of world championship experience. So uh, it's definitely a team that uh, the, the coaching staff and federation should know really well. The one name I thought was kind of interesting was Leo Komarov because obviously he started the in the NHL. Uh, but he was someone where kind of the story was he was never going to play international hockey again. He had kind of just retired from being in the, the national team and here he is. And uh, a lot of familiar names from this team that played on that 2019 world championship team. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, the one name I love always is uh, Marco Antila, who's like six foot eight and a half. And this guy was like, got all his offense against Canada when it mattered at that one gold medal yeah. championship game. Yeah. Um, they, these guys will grind you to the death. And it's like, it's almost like for Finland, it doesn't seem to matter what roster they bring. They're just going to be pesky there's a reason they're called the pesky fins it's just you look at it and it's like oh well this team's got like no big name players they're gonna get crushed by this other team and then they'll go out there and win because they'll just grind you to the hold their, their goaltending is usually really solid we know the defensive structure in finland's always been really good so um that's kind of where i'm looking at this team i think Solid defense. Uh, I, I like guys like Mikko Lettinen, who we thought would probably play a bit better in the NHL when he was there. Uh, Pateri Limbaum, I don't mind. Uh, Vili Poka, Sammy uh, Vatnin. Uh, so there's some experience on this uh, blue line. And then uh, there's a lot of there's not a lot of youth up front. I think if I'm correct, the youngest guy's like 26. Um, but they've got a lot of depth. They got a lot of scoring depth. Um, and I, it, so Finland for me, they, they're maybe like sneaky good, uh, not the favorite, but it's something where like, if everything kind of lines, they've, they've can grind the best teams in the tournament down. Um, it's just, you can't grind yourself out of these games. And um, right. I think they're still better than Sweden, better than Slovakia and better than Latvia. And I think that'll give them the opportunities to kind of just feel things out for when it really matters. And, you know, this Finnish team, it's, it's, it's kind of a throwback to, the you know in the at the world juniors we've seen that finland have a lot more success but it's with gold medals and things like that and it's been on the back of highly skilled players elite skilled players capo caco patrick line sebastian Aho, you know that those types of players um and this team is more like the finland of old where they would make it so difficult for you to score that it was, they would just find a way to outlast you. They'd be opportunistic. They and, and so that team is built more in the traditional way of a Finnish national team. Um, it's been fun to watch them transition into a more skilled game because they've had the players to do it. But these guys are from the old guard. And so that is going to make them difficult to play against. Um, I do want to move into group B. Russia is in group B, but also Czechia um, and you know, that's got a, a lot of former NHL players, very intriguing roster, you know, Michael Furlik, Thomas Hika, David Krejci, um, uh, Vladimir Sobotka, um, and on, on defense, Libor Sulak, had a, you know, he's, he was kind of tooling around a little bit in the Red Wing system. Um, you know, so obviously I think Krejci is the, is the one, you know, there are people wondering if he's going to come back to the NHL at some point uh, after his, uh, you know, pseudo retirement. And 
Um, very, very much looking forward to that. This is a team that is 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 very veteran laden. Not a lot of youth um, anywhere on the on the roster. I, I think uh, the youngest player is 25 years old. Um, so, or 24 years old. Sorry, Michael Spachek. Um, So, this is. I mean, they got a chance. I feel like this is a team that ha- at least has a chance. We'll see how the goaltending. Uh, stands up, but uh, Patrick Bartozak, Simon Rubek, Roman Will have all played fairly significant games um, in their international careers. I think this is a team. Well, it's actually kind of funny because they're, they're in the World Juniors. They were Czechia, but now they're back to Czech Republic for this tournament because they only decided to officially go under Czechia in international play um, after they submitted all their Olympic forms. So they're, it's, it's like they're kind of reverting backwards for their name. Um, but with, when you look at this team, I feel like this is a group that's going to win a lot of games like three to two or like mm-hmm. five to four. Uh, and we see that a lot of the uh, international tournaments, uh, world championship, where they're, they're not going to go out there and like win like three nothing and dominate the play. Uh, even against some of the weaker teams, they'll just they'll keep the game close. And uh, But they've, they've got enough players in this team that have experience playing uh, for this team in important events uh, where they, they kind of know how these games go. Uh, I think their goaltending is pretty good here. Um, we're talking about depth. I think that there's some guys here that the, the, I think the scoring is going to be pretty spread out. I'm not expecting like Krejci is obviously still a good enough player where he could have probably been playing in the NHL right now, but it's, there's enough depth there where um, we're going to see a lot of guys probably finishing the round robin with like two goals and like four or five points. And there's going to be like five or six of them kind of all battling. That's just kind of what this team kind of speaks to me. Um, but uh, there's enough names. So you look out there in the roster and you look at um yeah, that's a good example. Michael Froelich, Michael Repic, David Krejci, Cervenka, Saboka, um, and they've got even Imite Stransky. Look at these guys. Like, okay, they're going to put up some some offense there. So I like the scoring depth on this team, um, and, and there's a lot of big-time KHL experience. That's kind of where most of these players came from. So uh, I, I think this team's pretty well-suited for this tournament. Uh, playing in, in the same group as Russia is not probably going to make it easy for them, but that's also good competition for them when it, when it really matters. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to say, okay, well, this team is definitely going to, going to win. I mean, like it really, the parody of this tournament, I think is going to be a big story and one team to keep an eye on because you never know. And and, in group B um, is the Swiss and the Swiss have uh, a a number of, of players that, that have either recent NHL experience or, you know, they, they've got some younger guys um, as well. Uh, we did just learn that defenseman Christian Marty uh, tested positive ahead of a would-be exhibition game against Canada, and that game got canceled. He's out of the Olympics. Um, they are potentially working to replace him. But some of the names that you'd certainly know, Red O'Bara and Nett, Rafael Diaz, Mirko Mueller, Yannick Weber, uh, Sven Andragetto, um, uh, Gaten Haas, Gregory Hoffman, who just left the NHL, Dennis Malgin, um, and, and Calvin Thurkoff, uh, who's kind of been in the, the system a little bit. You've kind of noticed him uh, maybe in the world juniors and things of that nature. And, and certainly playing for the national team. Um, all players come from the Swiss national league. Um, so they're all domestic and that could make things uh, interesting. There's a lot of guys that I'm sure have, have quite a bit of experience with each other here. 
Yeah, this is a group that you kind of look at the world championship roster. And if you take out the guys like Yukahishi uh, coming in and then playing a, like a one-off world championship tournament, it's like, yeah, this team pretty much plays together all the time. That's what's cool about Switzerland. They get all their best players to kind of buy in on playing for the national team. And so that familiarity always helps in a tournament like this. And they got two goalies that could be the number one goalie in this tournament, uh, Rito Berra and, uh, and um, Leonardo Giannone, two very yeah. solid goalies with really kind of big back rounds where they split the world championship last year. I think they played like four games apiece, if I recall correctly. So, uh, and they're the two best goalies in the Swiss league this year. So like, it's looking really good there. Um, this is one where they, we always know the Swiss defense has kind of been a big talking point for so long. I don't know if it's necessarily the case as much as it used to be where the defense was like the super rock solid group. Uh, I think maybe a bit more kind of focus on offense, but there's also a lot of the players here that you kind of expect to be very important that are kind of getting older. Uh, Yannick Weber's not as quick as he used to be. Uh, Dennis Hollenstein's not the same player he used to be, but then you get the guys like, um, like Gregory Hoffman, who was just in the NHL, and you've got Sven Andrigetto, who's very good in these tournaments. Uh, you've got a good guy in Andre Sompiel, almost 40 years old, but still playing decent hockey with uh, in, in the Swiss League. And uh, so I think there's something here where the familiarity is going to be huge. Uh, there's definitely going to be some decent goal scoring. Uh, is there going to be enough to be a true contender? Probably not, but I think a lot of people kind of expect them to go out there and beat Germany. Uh, in the the game that sent Germany to the final four, so uh, that was the Swiss just have this thing where when no one expects them to be good, they're good, and then when everyone expects them to be decent, they suck, and it's kind <laughs> of a weird mix with that team. Yeah. Um, it, but but it's I, I look at this group and haven't followed Swiss hockey for a long time. It's it's one where like you know what, there's definitely a team to really keep an eye out. It, it wouldn't shock me if they're playing in the final four of this tournament. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible. I mean, really anything's possible, especially when you look back to what happened in 2018. And that brings me to Germany, who is in Group A with Canada, Russia, uh, Canada, USA, and China. Um, and so this is a team that that you know North American audiences will get a chance to see a couple of times on live TV. Um, and you know this. <sighs> I think Dominic Cahoon was really one of the breakout stars for that German team. He's back. He's out of the NHL, luckily for them. Um, you know, didn't quite stick in the NHL, but he had some good runs with Chicago and, and, and had a chance with Edmonton and Buffalo and, um, you know, did a few things there. And, and Tom Kuhnhackel, who, you know, has, has been around the NHL uh, time and time again. And, and, you know, there are others, Tobias Reeder, uh, Freddie Tiffles, um, guys that, you know, are, you may not be totally familiar with Corbinian Holzer, uh, you know, another NHL name there. Um, it's going to, I think the bar has been set so high by the, their 2018 getting to the, the, you know, basically being 56 seconds from gold um, before blowing it in epic proportions um, uh, was, and I f still feel bad for that because boy, that was tough to watch, but um now you have that confidence of knowing that you did it once. Maybe you can do it again. Yeah, like like that has kind of really set off. Like ever since that happened for Germany, it's like hockey and Germany just become so much bigger. And you look at how many the names have kind of come in the system since then. You look at Moritz Satter and Tim Stutzla, and you look at it, it's like, okay, well, obviously 
those players didn't make it to the NHL because of the 2018 Olympics. But uh, just the fact that German hockey as a whole has just been kind of riding a high since then. And this is a team with actually quite a bit of NHL experience. Uh, they, they, I think they have something like over a thousand games played between the team. And a lot of it was Tobias Ryder, who obviously is famous for going like a whole season without scoring a goal. So there's that, but um, <laughs> it's a lot of this team, I think it's only like 10 or 11 of these guys were on that last Olympic team. So they know that experience. And uh, you look at some of the guys who are star players in that tournament, Patrick Hager. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be one of the best players in the entire tournament. He was so good. And um, they've, they got good goaltending. Danny Austin has been kind of just one of their, you can always rely on him, plug and play him in the tournament. He'll be good. But then you got Matthias Nineberger is also a very solid goaltender. Uh, defense is maybe probably going to be the strength of this team, uh, but not in an offensive way where uh, Scorpion Holzer is one of the best defensemen on your team, and he's uh, not exactly known for shooting the puck often. That's that's one thing. But I think they're going to be a pretty solid defense. They're going to be a good shutdown group, and we saw that uh, really work well against Canada. There's some familiar there. Uh, a lot of veteran guys on that team. I think almost every guy is like 29 or older on the blue line. Uh, so that's something where these guys have played together, like the Deutschland Cup, the World Championship, the last Olympics. They've got the familiarity. Uh, up front, not the greatest team, uh, but there's kind of like another thing like um, – where like the Czech Republic almost work. The scoring is going to be pretty evenly dis- distributed where uh, we're not going to see a guy go out there and get like 12 points, but we're probably going to see a lot of guys get five or six. Um, and uh, this is another one where the teams that they're going to probably win these games pretty tightly. Um, will they go out there and compete for a medal again? Uh, I don't know if I would say he's got a super good shot of that, but they got a great shot of that, but uh we saw what happened in 2018. Anything can happen. Uh, it's it's going to be a team where a lot of people are just they're excited. And moment they got the momentum on their side as a whole country in hockey, and uh, I think don't count them out. Yeah, definitely don't count them out. I mean, really, if it, I'll sound like a broken record, but don't count anybody out <laughs> except for China. But you know, but you know, like basically, that, that's where and you know the, the other two teams that we haven't touched on yet, Denmark. Um, and Latvia, Denmark has a number of, you know, former NHLers, Franz Nielsen probably being the most uh, significant of those, um, but you guys like Michael Bodker, Peter Regan, um, Oliver Lauridsen, who had a cup of coffee in the NHL, um, you know, so this is a team that has some experience, uh, Nicholas Jensen as well, um, but this is, uh, it, it's a tall order for them, they're in the same group with Czechia, uh, Russia and Switzerland. I think they're decisively the fourth best team in that, in that group. Um, but any thoughts on, on Denmark? Uh, they, you, you kind of brought up. Yeah. It's a team that uh, they had pretty fun run at the world championship and uh, a couple for back in the May, I guess, May, June. Uh, Sebastian Dom is kind of the, there's always every tournament. There's always like one underdog goalie to really keep an eye on. He might yeah. be the guy just because it seems like every world championship tournament, he's like, made like a 50 save performance against a team that should have just crushed them. Um, so I think that's going to give them a lot of uh, momentum, but it's, it's a team that's lacking scoring. Um, they, a lot of those guys that really pushed this team to make the Olympics, um, like, like guys like Nikolai Ehlers and Georgetown, they won't be there. So they're going to be missing out on a lot of their offense. And they don't really have a lot to kind of make up for that. Uh, but if they're, if they're going to win a game or two in the round Robin, it's because the goaltending was the difference maker. And, uh, so my my bold prediction there is yeah Sebastian Dahm's going to steal a game, uh, but probably only going to steal one, and it's it's not going to be impactful enough for them to kind of go far in this tournament. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one for them. Latvia also kind of in a tough spot within the same group with Finland, Slovakia, and Sweden. Um, there are 
a few players that you'll you'll be familiar with from their NHL experience, like Casper's Dogavans, uh, and you know, but but mostly, you know, this is a team that, uh, you know, they've they've got some players. They've got you know they have a chance, you know, to to pull an upset here or there. Um, but what what do you make of of kind of Latvia and and their their status heading into the Olympics? This is a team that's playing with heavy hearts. Obviously, lost one of their teammates yes. in, uh, mm-hmm. in Kivalinkas. Uh, but we saw how that group played uh, without much NHL talent to work with. Like, like th- this is a team that's not going to get hurt too much by not having many NHL players because they didn't have a lot of guys outside of third and fourth line NHL depth roles uh, to choose from. Anyways, uh, like losing their goaltending is going to suck. But Latvia is another team that. Um, the, the, it doesn't seem to really matter who the Nick goalie is. They find something really big. Chris Gulovskis, we saw what he could do in 2014. This time it's it's probably Yanis Kalin's turn or Ivers Punovos. Um, so they've got some other options there to kind of go with if they need to for Latvia. Um, it, the defense is pretty standard. They don't really change that group kind of from year to year because they the most of this group kind of plays together all year long uh, with uh, Riga and the KHL. But uh, their offense, there's there's a couple guys like Dagovins and Darzins and uh, Abels who uh, – they they'll be the goal scorers for the team. Are they going to score a lot? Not really. They're going to have to grind their way to wins. And I know that's almost kind of sounding like a theme, but that's kind of what happens when you play in a tournament without many star players is uh, a lot of teams kind of have to resort to more grindy games, but they're playing in a, a, a group that is still kind of wide open. So while Denmark to me is like the, the final team in group B, Latvia is in Group C, but I think they're definitely closer to finishing third or finishing second than Denmark is. So um, Latvia, this is a very familiar group with each other, and early on in the tournament, that could really matter. Yeah, absolutely, it can. And you know, I did say that I kind of mentioned Team USA a couple of weeks ago, but we'll get, kind of get this here because I wanted to get your take, uh, you know, Canadian perspective as well. Um, you know the. I know how I feel about it. I think that I'm especially intrigued by the U S I think because they are um, bringing the team that they are um, the the youth that they have, the fact that there are so many college players and and prospects on the roster um, is, is exceptionally exciting to me. They are the youngest team in the tournament by by almost two full years on average. Russia is the next closest Um, team. USA's average age is 24.6. Russia's is 26.3. That's the next closest team to them. What do you think of that philosophy and can it work at this level? I love this team. Uh, do I think they're going to go out there and win a medal? No. Uh, but this is a team where you look at the last team and they almost felt like they had an identity crisis. You got those young guys playing way better than the veterans and the veterans just not doing a whole lot to, to make Anything. the game exciting. But, yeah. this, <laughs> but this dream, it's almost like they're built around the young guys and then threw these veterans in as to fill the spots. I think that's kind of a cool way where uh, I, I feel like they're – they're going to get, say, hey, Maddie Beniers, you're going to play really key minutes here. Or or they're going to give guys like Matthew Nees or Brendan Brisson and guys like that opportunity. Chase Sanderson could end up being one of the best defensemen in the tournament. So uh, I think this is something here. It's like this is going to be a lot of fun. A very fast team, uh, definitely skilled. Um, they not sh- they, it's, it's something, though, you're still relying a lot on these young guys who've never had to play against uh, – professional hockey players before and saying go and beat these guys and while those guys might not be the best of the best they've got way more experience and that i think will play a factor but in terms of the fun level and there uh, this might be one of the teams to watch um 
their goaltending. We know Strassman's a very good goalie, but he's like Pat Nagel is also very good, and Drew Camesso. We know what he could do. So um, it, it's it's a team where I think it's going to be very competitive. I'm not sure I would consider them top three, but I would consider them not far off. And uh, who knows? Maybe they they go out there and be like Team North America, the 2016 World Cup of hockey, and just kind of defy all expectations and win this thing. And um, so it, it would honestly want to shock me if they end up getting gold, uh, just because they're just going to be relying on this youthful energy where these guys are looking at it. It's like, there's this is a huge deal. And you look at the the team, obviously the Miracle on Ice team, no one expected them to be as good. And they were just fast yeah. and, and beat everybody down. There's a lot that can happen here. So I, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to this group. And it'd be yeah, kind of cool, though. It's like, it'd be kind of cool before Matty Beniers ever plays his first NHL game. He ends up coming, like, let's say he, they win, he gets the game winning goal. Like, Beniers could be the biggest star in Seattle hockey history before he ever <laughs> plays in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Like, it, you know, this is, you, you, you have to recalibrate your expectations. Okay, the NHL's not there. But, but to me, it, the way that the U.S. built this team, it was like, it's not necessarily built like they they say that they built it to win a gold medal. They feel like they can win a gold medal with this roster and and they very well could. But the thing that they did was is said if we're going to go down, we're going down with the future of our <laughs> with the future of our program, with the future with the guys, you know, that that we are going to give these guys an opportunity to lift us up as they have many times before. Like you know, as you mentioned, Team North America is such a great model for this. And we're talking about guys that are much closer to their NHL careers than the ones that have already had the chance or never got the chance and aren't ever going to get the chance. So I think goaltending is probably the biggest question going in. I do like Strauss man a lot. I think that, you know, he's got the odds on favorite to start. Um, And I also think that now when I, when I did the last podcast, not all the rosters had been revealed yet, but I think after seeing them all, I feel pretty confident that this U S team is the fastest team in this tournament. They are one of the best skating teams in this tournament is a team built on um, elite mobility. And I, I think that you look at some of the guys they have, like guys like Sean Farrell, who you might not be familiar with. Well, he is an absolute burner. Ben Myers has great speed. Um, you know, Mark McLaughlin can fly. So I'm really excited to see, that element and and it's on an NHL surface speed still matters very much and almost matters more on the NHL surface because you got to get to those areas a lot quicker because there just aren't there isn't as much room and and you don't play as much of a perimeter game so we'll see what happens but I'm fascinated by it I think the U.S. and Canada are the two teams that I I, I find most intriguing in terms of the roster makeup and and the players that they are bringing um I can't wait to see what Slovakia does but more than anything I just can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I feel better, you know, better in, in one sense and not as good in another sense of, I feel better about the product of this, of what we're going to see here on the ice. I think that the teams learned a lot from 2018. Um, the other thing, the thing that I'm not as excited about is the main difference between the men's tournament and the women's tournament in terms of the pre Olympic buildup. The women's teams were mostly, not all of them, but mostly were centralized before coming together, you know, before going to Beijing. The men's teams were not. And so you're bringing people from all different cohorts and we're still dealing with a pandemic. And one positive test says, see you later. Um, You're not going. Um, So that will be there as well, Stephen. But I mean, for you, putting the COVID concerns aside, um, what are your, your last thoughts about what this tournament is going to mean and how do, 
And, or, you know what, let me rephrase that because I think you and I, we, we approach this from a different perspective and, and I just, what should we take out of this tournament? You know, every international tournament is a measuring stick of some kind. This is not a, this is not necessarily that, but there's something that we can take from it. What are the things that you expect we'll be able to take from it when it's all over? That's one more thing that kind of the, the American team It's one of my biggest criticism about the team is they look really good at these junior tournaments and then just fizzle out at the, the men's level. This is something where you look at these guys, a lot of them play the U18s, U20, the development team, uh, all kind of together. And now they're, they got an opportunity to be the leaders of this men's team. I think that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, but in terms of this tournament, to me, the way I look at it is, this might be the B teams for a good majority of the teams in the tournament. Uh, not necessarily like Latvia and uh, teams like that, but something where you look at it and this can show how good your, your depth is in hockey. And the best Canadians are going to be playing in the NHL. The best Americans are going to be playing in the NHL, Russia, Sweden, same thing. But it, it, the fact that you could take the best players away, get your second best options and still be good shows that in your long-term development, something's working. And there's something here where, I, yeah, it's, it's not going to be the best hockey in terms of pure talent but it opens up new opportunities germany that was major for them to go and play in that gold medal game and if slovakia does that or denmark managed to or Latvia, that then changes the course of the hockey history in those countries that you just don't typically see if canada usa and russia are the only teams ever winning canada winning another gold medal doesn't do anything other than say okay we still can be the best as a country or the americans like obviously it'd be a big deal considering uh, they, it's been a long time since they've won gold at this years, tournament. long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way before I was alive. Um, yeah, me too. But 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 then you look at that and it's like, okay, well, we can if we go out there and win this, I go, okay, our development program's working. Our, our youth is blossoming into something here. And we talked about their, the youth being so good. It's like the guys like Brian O'Neill and Andy Mealy aren't exactly slouches either. So, like, they've got some good veterans there. Um, you look at Russia. So, okay, we could prove the, the KHL is still a very good league. In Sweden, if they could do it, it's, oh, yeah, we could still win hockey tournaments. And Switzerland, it's like it, it, all these teams have something to kind of prove here. And yeah. a lot of it is... Is, is it, it means a lot to win this tournament. You, in Europe, you look at this tournament and it's a big deal. You look at the Men's World Championship where North America, it's not a big deal, but in, in Europe, it's a major deal to win these tournaments. Finland has like like holidays when they go out there and win the tournament. Canada wins gold and no one even knows. It's, it's kind of just like, these tournaments mean something different for every team. And I think that they just, it, it, that alone makes it pretty fun from an overall standpoint. But the fact that we could go out there and, and, and a surprise performance from a team could absolutely if china actually goes out there and beats a team does that finally put hockey on the map in a substantial way maybe it's all up to kind of how the media portrays that big event um but it, like it just the, the storylines is something that can be huge for the long-lasting effects of the game and the last longing the, the long-lasting status of the game in their individual countries i think could be something that really is important and that's why this tournament is important no NHLers, fine, but it's still going to be competitive hockey where I think the, the competition's never been closer. Yeah, I love that you brought that up about the storylines because we sometimes, especially in like an analytical world and when we're trying to analyze things, we want to look at the cold, hard facts, but there is a narrative element of this tournament that is that still matters, where it's not the measuring stick, it's not 
deciding who has the best hockey country. And really, tournaments are not the best way to decide that anyway. They're, it's decided by a, a conglomeration of facts. But once you, once you put all these teams together on equal footing in a tournament, in a 1v1 situation, you have all these opportunities for these different little stories to play out. And that's still why we love sports. It's not just about the numbers. It's not just about proving who is the best. There is a narrative element to um, the whole experience of, of the Olympics. It's what the Olympics were built on. They weren't built on wins. They were built on stories. And that's why I think that people continue to get so emotionally invested in it. Yes, there's the national nationalistic kind of spirit that comes with it. But I also think that there is a huge element of these are my peers. These are my countrymen. These are the people that I identify with doing extraordinary things on the world stage. And that still matters and will matter here. Now, if the U.S. and Canada lay a gigantic egg in this tournament, everyone will move on. It won't it won't change the course of history or anything like that. But if they, you know, at least here, but that also means that there are other opportunities for other nations to have that experience. And I agree with you completely. The Olympics in its current setting is set up in, a, in such a way where it could very well be the most important event in the history of one of these countries, uh, hockey history. So, so yeah, so I didn't say that very well. You said it better than I did, but I, I love that, that, that idea of it. And that's one of the things that will make this compelling. And I know that there are a lot of people that are struggling to find what's compelling about it. But I, I think that as you experience the Olympics, that as you experience any game, I mean, if it's a USA or a Canada Jersey, you're going to root for it. Right. You know, so that's, that's kind of where it's at. So I'm excited. I know you're excited. Um, and, and I'm just so appreciative that you were able to, to hop on with me and, and kind of break things down and give a really good comprehensive look at the tournament field and, and help these people understand why it's okay to care. It's okay to care, people. Don't be too cool to care for the uh, for the Olympics. But Steve, thanks thanks so much for for joining me this week. Absolutely, it doesn't need the, to be the best on best for it to be good. We watch junior hockey, and they're the, the best of their age group, but that's that's still a smaller age group. And the World Juniors, like the best nineteen year olds, are often in the NHL. So it doesn't need to be best on the best to be a good hockey tournament. And I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks so much. And thank you once again to Stephen Ellis. And thank you to all of you that listen to the podcast all the way through. It is a, a long one. It's basically a double episode to make up for my lost weeks that I that I wasn't here to break things down with you. Next week, we will talk about the Olympics as they are happening. We'll also talk about my draft rankings, which, as I said, will be on Daily Faceoff. So please do check those out. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast if you have not already. And enjoy the Olympics, everybody. I'm, I know I will. I know that a lot of people are still feeling the burn of, of not having NHL players involved. But I do think that we will have a, a, fun, a fun tournament, a compelling tournament in some way, shape, or form. And certainly on the women's side, um, the very best of the very best. And, and cannot wait to see how that Canada-USA rivalry uh, goes in the next chapter here in 2022 that's going to do it for this week's episode of talking hockey sense my name is chris peters we'll catch you next time